This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. This is Mike, and you can find me at I am Mike White on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And Happy New Year, and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com. You can also like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer, and you can support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. And at the $2 level, you also get TV and book reviews and reactions. I'm doing a whole series on Stephen King's short fiction collections this year on there for the $2 level. January is all about Night Shift. And for $5, you get all of that plus commentary tracks, including uh, commentary tracks for the Scream franchise, for Doctor Sleep, The Shining, for um, a bunch of stuff, Throne of Blood, um, a bunch a bunch of movies and everything. Uh, I think there's like 25 commentary tracks on there now. Um, and then $10 gets you all of that plus early access to content. So uh, rambling through that, I'm your host, Matt Hurt. And with me today are the OG co-hosts of The Obsessive Viewer, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Tiny and Mr. Mike White, how are you doing this fine 2022 evening, you gentlemen? Awesome. I'm great. Nice. This feels like an event. I, this always yes. feels like, I, I mean, the three of us don't get to together mm. to record as, as often as maybe we would like. Uh, right. And also just talking about, you know, kind of uh, in a way like the foundation of this podcast, like, yeah. like why we do this. Uh, it, it's a culmination of all that every year. And, and so I'm stoked. I've been excited for this all week. Oh, yeah. Same here. And we're actually doing it at a relatively early, well, for us, um, time frame for <laughs> us uh, in the year. So that's great. Uh, yeah. Tiny, how are you feeling about the year in review episode? Good, man. Better than last year. Yes. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, oh, just better movies all around. For oh, sure. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It's uh so yeah so as Mike mentioned this is our year in review episode we do it every year uh basically starting in 20 starting with early 2014 we did a year in review episode for 2013 the podcast started in June of 2013 and uh we've done it every year since it's the big episode that we do each year it's the like Mike said the culmination of a years of a year's worth of movie viewing and it's a it's a lot of fun it's I love that this is a tradition that we do like I really really just just adore that it's something that we can look forward to and something that we can go back and like hear us talk about over nearly a decade now that is just incredible so uh so yeah so thank you guys for you know uh putting up with me for this long <laughs> for sure and i yeah. think another thing that's kind of special about it is not not just like is it the ending point or the finish line uh, mm -hmm. of our year and and kind of this podcast every year it's it's almost in a way a season finale it mm -hmm. also kind of frames our movie watching years i mean yeah. the three of us start talking about goals and um you know when we see one that is like a five star movie or, or mm -hmm. a four and a half star movie we we already are making predictions in january like mm -hmm. hey i i can't imagine this not being on my top 10 so uh it, it, you know in certain ways we build this episode mm -hmm. starting january 1st 
Yeah, and like this is the rare year where we have a movie in January that's like, oh, this could be, you know, something. Oh, for uh, sure. Meaning yeah. Scream in a couple of days. Holy crap. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's that's exciting. Can't wait for that. We'll talk about that a little bit. Oh, for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So the way that we do these episodes are is the way that we do is um, we basically uh, have our stats that we're going to run down. We used to do this manually. We used to compile our stats, compile our viewing stats, our statistics, any other way that you can say stats, um, <laughs> and, uh, and our movie viewing manually. But thankfully, a few years ago, we uh, we all joined Letterboxd, which I just want to just say right up front, letterboxd.com, um, amazing website, amazing uh, social social media site for movie watching. It's, in my opinion, it is one of the, one of the, uh, uh, one of the few remaining like corners of the internet that isn't spoiled by horrible discourse. <laughs> it is like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just a beautiful, a beautiful website and it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. 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 So Letterboxd, since we have, I'm a patron on Letterboxd to just, uh, to just to flex a little bit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but if you have a pro membership, you get access to stats that you can track throughout the entire year. It is very robust, very just, very clean user interface. It's amazing. And that's what we're going to be using predominantly throughout our stat tracking in this episode where we're going to be talking about it. So uh, if this is your first time listening, just keep in mind, check out Letterboxd if you're if you haven't yet. Also follow us on Letterboxd. I'm Matt at Obsessive Viewer. Tiny is at Obsessive Tiny and Mike is at I am Mike White on Letterboxd. So uh yeah so should should we get should we get rolling guys let's roll let's bro. do it yeah okay awesome so first i just want to ask how was everyone's and this is probably going to be a loaded question how was everyone's 2021 um in comparison to any other year we've done this <laughs> uh, you Tiny, do you want to start or do you want me to go first you can go ahead mike okay um I would uh, uh, my 2021, I would say, was worse than 2020. Uh, oh, like, are you talking about just life and, and in general yeah, or just, in, just in movie? general mood? General. OK. Yeah. Because uh, it's true. It's true for my the amount of movies I watched. But we'll get oh, to okay. that in a second. So, yeah, yeah. just general mood. Um, you know, I'm such an introvert and a homebody that, uh, you know, being in actual quarantine as many times as I was in 2020 for various reasons, you know, testing positive, virtual mm -hmm. school, canceled school, all the different reasons we stayed home. Um, you know, I found ways to make the best of it. And and I've said it before on the podcast, so I don't mean any disrespect to people who really struggled through that year. I'm fully mm -hmm. aware of that. It was very difficult and challenging for everybody. Uh, and I know that, you know, p we lost people and people suffered serious illnesses. So I don't mean to make light of it, but on a personal level, um, uh, I was able to kind of accomplish some goals where like, you know, you, you stick a pin in it for a rainy day and say, if I'm ever home for an extended period of time, I could do these things. And I did. Uh, so that felt really good. Um, what has been difficult about 2021 is continuing to live through this pandemic, uh, but with the pretense that things are back to, and I'm doing some serious air quotes mm -hmm. here, back to normal. Yeah. Um, 
Like we all just kind of collectively agreed to stick a pin in normal things last year and just deal with the pandemic. But now we have to deal with life again on top of the pandemic. Yeah. So I don't have that free time uh, to kind of soothe as a, as a salve uh, on that, which wounds me every day. Yeah. Uh, so that has been a bit of a challenge. Um, I, I, you know, on a positive new, uh, note, my family is happy. They're, they're healthy. My nice. son started kindergarten this year and he's thriving. Um, I just was told today but that my, my three-year-old son at his daycare, she said, I wish we could clone Howie. Cause he's a, he's a perfect child. So that felt Aww. really good. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. She said he, he is sweet and empathetic and all the kids want to play with him. So that felt really good. Oh, that's that, awesome. that, that was a cool day. Nice. Uh, and then my band, which I, I won't talk about too much, but we released an album this year. We funded it on Kickstarter. That was a positive thing. So, um, I don't know that I've broken even <laughs> in 2021, <laughs> sure. uh, but, but I'm, I, I think there are things that I can do to make 2022 a better year mm. uh, just in my head, just in preparation. Yeah. Sorry for the long-winded answer. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely not. You're good. Um, well-winded answer. Yes. Well, <laughs> <Thank> nice. <you. laughs> um, and just for the listeners, uh, where can we find all of your music online? Yeah, so my band is as good as it gets, uh, and it's everywhere. The easiest, the hub, is just as good as it gets music.com. Uh, and that will take you to the Spotify, the Bandcamp. It will take you to our Facebook. We have a YouTube channel, all kinds of stuff. Uh, this year should be really exciting. We are releasing every six weeks or so, starting on February 18th, uh, singles that were the song shop songs that was part of our Kickstarter that we did last year. So people purchased uh, songs to write with us last year. And so we're, we're releasing those as singles this year. And the first one comes out February uh, 18th. Uh, next month. So that we're pretty excited is about so that. so awesome. Sweet. I'm very excited yeah. for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll be good. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, okay, Tiny, your 2021. Um, well, I'm going to echo a lot of what Mike said. Um, I'm kind of glad you said that, Mike, because misery loves company. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, my 20, For sure. yeah, my 2021 was worse than 2020 as well. Um, the positive, I professionally, it was a great year. I got like a big raise and kind of a promotion. Yeah. And, um, Congrats. Jobs going fantastic. I'm really loving my career. So that's the positive, but, um, just so many negatives this year, so many. Yeah. And, you know, COVID was only a small part of it. Uh, you know, that I lost my last two grandparents this year within six months of each other, um, mm, my grandmothers. Sorry. And then during that time, my wife and I lost a pregnancy and mm -hmm. that was the worst thing ever. And, sure. you know, just a terrible year all around. But, uh, you know, it kind of, and then at the end of the year, most of my family got COVID. So that mm. was all a bummer. It was just uh, a bummer all around for the most part. But, um, I was still pretty positive throughout a lot of it. And, you know, there's so much good art and content out there and so many good services for us to enjoy those things that it's easy to distract ourselves and distract ourselves in a good way. I mean, not in a bad way. You know, there's so the golden age of television and uh, all these, again, all these services where we can consume all these things. It's so, it's refreshing that I, I look forward to a day at home where I can just watch stuff and uh, forget about life for a while, as as Billy Joel said. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was a bad year, but I don't feel bad. I don't, uh, nice. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty positive. And, uh, you know, it was a good year for movies, which we're going to talk yeah. about today. So at least there's that. Um, 
Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah it don't... doesn't it doesn't sound like you're dwelling on it, which is yeah. which is healthy and impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's the good that's the good angle of it. Um, right. I yeah. don't mean to be a downer. I'm not trying oh, to no. say that, but just that's kind of how last year was. But yeah, uh, yeah I'm positive. I'm positive. Nice, yeah. nice, Mateo. Uh, my year was pretty mixed, honestly. I won't, I'm, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that it was bad. I'm not gonna say it was bad. It was bookended by some pretty heavy mental illness issues, but, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm okay. And, uh, I'm thankful that I have a good support system and everything. But, uh, but yeah, other than that, like, I mean, it's frustrating that we are two years into a pandemic and there are still people who don't understand that or don't um, care about that. Our, my company is uh, is going to be following the, the mandate for vaccination and everything. Um, and like a little part of me is just like tickled by that because I'm like, okay, all the... I'll, I won't mince words, all of the a-holes that <laughs> are resistant to the idea of, you know, doing the bare minimum for free uh, to, you know, put an end to it uh, are going to have a rough time having to be tested every week mm-hmm. um, because of their uh, their their freedoms. But <laughs> uh, so like it's it hasn't been as frustrating as it was last year because last year was an election year ever like the entire world was upside down and crazy and insane but 2021 has been pretty good um the movie theaters are back i feel comfortable being in a movie theater which is great um that was the that was a very very big uh downer for me in 2020 was that i couldn't do that that was like that's that's like an emotional thing that i do like that's Mm. that's that's something that i needed so i'm glad that movie theaters are back I'm glad that movies are back for the most part and that um, that even though the world is still all messed up and out of whack, we are all still here, all still healthy and all yeah. ready to uh, do this for another year and a year after that and after that and after that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well put. Yeah. And, and, and kind of uh, to Tiny's point, I think mm-hmm. – um, yeah, let's if if we can lift it up here at the end. I think we all struggled in our own ways through this year. I think a lot of people struggled through this year, but we really continued to do our favorite hobby. Yeah, uh, and and I think that's a, another thing that's really special about this podcast. And when the three of us can do this together, mm-hmm. is is we look forward to this and we could do this at the oh, end yeah. of the year. And uh, you know, we kind of struggle through it together, and then we get to enjoy this together at the end here. Absolutely. And also, I should say, I also got into a relationship at the end of the year. So, pretty good year. Congrats. Um, Congrats. Yeah. And she also got a new cat. So, yeah. Shout out to Clarence. Oh, Um, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Had a boy, Clarence. Had a boy, Clarence. Look out now. Yeah. (laughs) Clarence, the old building and loan. (laughs) Um, Okay. So, anyway. uh, Yeah. So, here we are. 2021 year in review we have an itinerary we're going to go through our stats we're going to go through some uh their honorable mentions i'm going to save that for a different episode that i'm doing um and then just all of our and then and then our top tens and everything so uh we've got a packed a packed show do we have anything else to address before we get into viewing stats 
No, let's do it. Let's get nice. to it, man. Nice. All right. So we are going to start with our viewing stats for 2021. Um, the way that we have done this over the years is Mike goes first since he is an irregular co-host. Um, and uh, <laughs> then we'll go Tiny and then me. So, Mike, why don't you hit us with your viewing stats for the year 2021? Okay, in 2016, I watched 148 movies. In 17, I watched 134. In 18, 130. And then in 19, I watched 193 movies. Last year, I watched 283 movies, my highest of all time. And this year, my lowest perhaps, of all time, (laughs) at least since I've been keeping track, and I've been Mm. keeping track since about 2008, uh, 113 movies. Mm. And and we'll talk about the top 10, which is a really good top 10. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm not all that upset. I went so hard on movies in 2020 that I kind of intentionally watched fewer this year. I spent uh, mm-hmm. my time uh, actually reading books and and uh, you know working on music and stuff like that. So 113 films watched, which is an average of 9.4 per month, which is 2.2 per week. Uh, which sounds about right. I see one mm-hmm. every Thursday on movie night, and I try to generally watch uh, one on Tuesday nights by myself if not that then i'll sneak one in uh over the weekend or i'll watch one with my wife on a friday or something like that my uh first time watches of the year which is to say like a movie i've never seen before i watched it this year Mm -hmm. that was 90 movies which is 80 percent of all the movies i watched which is uh i don't know that's that's pretty good. I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know that I want to yeah. say I'm surprised or what. Um, this year for Shocktober, I decided to uh, watch a lot of movies I'd never seen before. So usually those numbers are padded by um, like my favorite ones. So uh, I watch a lot of new movies. I check. I like to check things off lists, things that I've mm-hmm. never seen before. Um, in terms of rewatches. Uh, so things that I had seen before that that's only 23, which is 20% theater viewings, uh, was back up, uh, last year I saw 13 because Mm -hmm. of COVID, uh, we saw a couple and then in March and then just stopped seeing movies for a whole year. Uh, this year I saw 40 movies in theaters, uh, including, uh, Spider-Man, um, far from home. Or No Way Home, excuse Mm. me. No Way Home, I saw that twice in theaters. Um, Movies that I watched in 2021 that were released in 2021 is 49, which is about 43% of all the movies that I watched, uh, which comes to about 200.2 hours of total movie watching for the year, which is uh, less than half of what I watched last year, 491 Mm -hmm. (laughs) last year. Uh, My highest, uh, which is just true every single year, is horror movies. Second highest is thriller, and they kind of tag horror movies as thrillers as well. Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of horror movies. Shocktober is my favorite time of year, and on Tuesdays, I watch horror movies. Um, uh, the excuse me <clears throat> the the director i watched the most is lee janiac and that's only because i watched all three of the fear street movies yeah. uh I, I didn't really do any director deep dives this year mm-hmm. or anything like that but uh f- fun nonetheless uh the highest rated movie i watched was pulp fiction the most obscure was shifter 
Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the the lowest scoring movie average I watched this year was uh, 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 the Adams Family Two, which I which I watched with my kids. <laughs> so nice. decent year overall. Yeah. Uh, my 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 most common moving watching day was on Thursday which makes sense because that's when I see movie night. Yeah. Uh, a low year, but it's it's the quality, not the quantity, I think. Nice. And so uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. How many sure. theater viewings did you have? This year I had 40. That is awesome. It's that's good. It's yeah. Really yeah. good. Yeah. Especially the bounce good. back from COVID. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I also want to mention... Uh, I am just so, I commented this on your letterbox. I am so just thrilled that you guys hit movie night number 500 and you hit it with Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man. Yeah. It was, that is amazing. I mean, not only was it Spider-Man, which is enough to be excited about in the first Mm -hmm. place, but it was the end of our semester. Oh, nice. It was the end of the year. It (laughs) was like the, it was total wrap up and good vibes. 500 nice. movies yeah so uh, uh we got to see we got to see 500 uh on our movie nights that was nice. that was a really special thing that i guess mm-hmm. uh that that i didn't mention in the stats but yeah 40 yeah. movies in theaters i feel really good about that um when we started going back in march when we felt more comfortable about theaters mm-hmm. uh it was nonstop, one a week and then a random here and there yeah do you have any memorable movie theater experiences aside from spider-man well aside from spider-man sure uh i mean spider-man was the most memorable and i'm going to talk about that quite a bit later um we got to see carrie uh in the screening of carrie which was really fun we saw a screening of evil dead which was really fun uh the the other two that i'll mention i saw adam's family with just my two sons, like my wife was out of town hmm. doing something. Uh, and I like, it was the first time I had taken the boys by myself to a movie and it oh, was fun. Wow. We had way too much candy, mm-hmm. popcorn, sodas, the whole thing. And, and they just, they kind of liked the movie a little, but just mm-hmm. being there with them was really fun. Nice. And then the other one, house of Gucci. Uh, I actually <laughs> got in a car accident on the drive right. to house of Gucci. I got uh, rear ended, um yeah i we were you know turning turning right and i yielded and the person behind me did not yield uh so ran into me we had to kind of pull into the parking lot all the while i'm checking my watch thinking (laughs) we got a movie to see here in about 25 minutes Mm -hmm. and uh this is our 499th movie so i am not missing this movie yeah uh because next week is spider-man so got the information you know nobody was hurt she took Mm. the blame so like we didn't call the cops just exchanged the information uh and i was like all right if you're good I got your information. I'm good. Uh, we got a movie to catch. See ya. Mm-hmm. So we went with my with my busted up vehicle. Like the trunk wouldn't close. So it was just like oh, dinging geez. the whole drive home. The whole bit. Like I was also <laughs> sick. Like I took the next day off of work. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of rough. But I was like, I, I mean, it was like the Revenant. I, I'm trying to think of 
a, a better movie example, but I was just like, I am going to this thing if I have to crawl. Like, oh, that's it was awesome. eleven twenty two sixty three. Like mm-hmm. time yeah. was obdurate. It, it was like nice. keeping me from seeing my four hundred ninety ninth nice. movie. Uh, uh, nonetheless, I did. Uh, the movie I'm, is entirely forgettable. Oh but, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm picturing uh, uh, Miles Teller at the end of Whiplash. <laughs> Yes, that's better. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I'm bleeding. Yeah, I got I did like I didn't want to go to the hospital to get a neck brace. So I just have my jacket around my neck. (laughs) Wow, that's great. Well, I'm glad you're okay and everything. Thanks. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Any more on your stats, Mike, or shall we move on to Mr. Tiny? No, I think that's good. Yeah. All righty. Tiny, hit us with your stats. All right. Uh, I have been hovering around the 100 movies a year mark 110 give or take 95 somewhere Mm. in there uh so i hit a new low this year i only had 83 oh wow which is really low that is low yeah okay okay no problem yeah Yeah, and so the past three or four years i've been kind of a downer Mm -hmm. when it comes to my stats on these episodes but this year it's funny i hit a new low but I don't feel down about it. I, yeah. <laughs> it's it's weird. And I think the reason is uh, it's kind of a quality over quantity type mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Because last year I watched 110, but I had like very little enthusiasm for my top 10 list. Mm-hmm. So it's like I watched more movies, but like I wasn't real excited about my top 10. Um, I mean, I had Tenet on it for Christ's sake, um, <laughs> which is not a bad movie, but whatever. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so this year I am, it's kind of different because I'm not bummed about the number 83 because I have, I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about mm-hmm. my top 10 and I saw some great movies this year. Um, and so I, you know, it's kind of like, uh, the whole personal thing where the year was kind of crappy, but I'm just mm-hmm. not down about it. I'm not yeah. depressed about it. I, you know, I took my time to process that stuff and mm-hmm. we're feeling better now and it's, it's all, it's all good now. So it's yeah, low number, but, uh, but again, quality over quantity. So I'm, I'm okay with it. Nice. Um, it's about 166 hours of, of movie viewing, mm-hmm. um, uh, let's see, about seven per month, one and a half a week. Um, and a number that's not too bad was the um, 2021 releases. Um, let's see, 54 out of 83 were 2021 releases. So that's, that's really good. That's not bad. I mean, yeah. I, I don't yeah. mind that. And then um, uh, 72%, so 60 out of 83 were new new movies new watches um uh which mike yours was 80 80 so 72 percent. i'm i'm happy with that so yeah for sure um, yeah um so that's all pretty good uh most most watched actor was jk simmons uh which <laughs> is kind of really? funny yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then we watched all the matrix movies so my number one director nice. was lana wachowski mm-hmm. uh four four movies from from her nice um yeah number one genre was drama which is pretty standard. I think that's always my number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I saw a number. This number was a little better than I thought it was going to be. I saw seven movies in the theater, which is pretty par for me. I think the most I've ever had is like 22, maybe something like that. 23. Something like that. I think it's in the twenties. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm nowhere near your guys's kind of levels. And, mm-hmm. uh, I'm fi- one time in my life. I'd love to do 52 in a year. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. I will yeah. do it someday, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, I'm, I'm okay with seven given how low my overall number was. And, mm-hmm. 
pandemic and all that jazz, you know, right. I'm I'm okay with seven. Uh, and, and also, I had some good experiences in the theater this mm-hmm. year. Uh, Dune at the yes. State Museum. Oh, oh my god that was amazing largest screen in the state yeah IMAX. oh wow that's yeah. cool so amazing Massive. um and i so i was listening to what was it oh i was listening to matt your episode with oh. fecus where you talked about spider-man oh yeah and you mentioned when we went to dune um yes the guy was like there were people like we were towards the end of an aisle and people mm-hmm. were shuffling past us and one guy was like excuse me excuse me happy dune day happy dune day <laughs> and that was just that felt great because yeah. i was like that's how i felt i was like it's yep. dune day i finally get to, i've been waiting for this movie for like three years yeah and i'm so excited for it and it's like a personal i love this movie and mm-hmm. this, this story and the book and everything so um just seeing all that on the screen was f- just amazing and yeah. uh th- that was it, packed theater yeah the sound the screen that was an awesome experience um, and then Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, yeah. was really cool just because of all the nostalgia and all that stuff. Um, and uh, we had a pretty good crowd too, uh, people nice. who were involved and laughing at all the right spots. And it was uh, it was a fun interactive thing. So yeah, it was um, a low number, but a good year. Again, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm pretty positive on it, despite the low number. Yeah, nice, yeah. awesome. What was awesome. your first movie back after? Was it Mortal Kombat with me? Mortal Kombat. Okay. That was it. Mike, yep. what was your first one back? Oh, shoot. Uh, the first one back. I would I would have to look. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you're good. You're good. Um, Tiny, uh, resume stats? <laughs> um, I don't think I have anything else, really. Okay. That's kind of the big stuff. Day of the week? Day of the week yeah. was actually Sunday. Oh, nice. Kind of surprised me. And I watched... 13 movies on Tuesday. I have no idea oh, what nice. what Tuesdays I watched movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know where those came from. Interesting. Um that kind of jumped out at me. But nice. yeah, it also December was my biggest month. Um because nice. I made it I made a big push towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um I watched like uh what was that? Um oh, it doesn't say. Oh, I yeah. I would say the actual number, but no. um but yeah, I mean if you like look at my chart, it's kind of like mm. a covid chart because at the end it's just spiking oh, up yeah. at the end there. <laughs> um but it was fun. It was a really fun like um um not a marathon, but it was just like a um it was just like a fun push at the end. Yeah. To, nice to, focus on something. A focus, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it, yeah. And uh actors, directors. Yeah, actor uh, most watched actor was JK Simmons. Um, Robert Downey Jr. was up there too, and then all the big people from the Matrix because we watched the original right. trilogy and the new one. Um, okay. my let's see, what was the there was something. Did you already say director and actor? I did. Did yeah. you? Oh, I'm sorry. Just really quickly and briefly, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's okay. uh, nice. that's about it. Sweet. My number one writer, Stephen King. Oh, nice. Of course. Right. Check out Tower Junkies. <laughs> Shocking. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. This well, is this is going to blow your mind, guys, but mm-hmm. did you know that Godzilla vs. Kong came out in 2021? <laughs> it did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I remember. That was, our fir- that was our first one back. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I I would never have guessed that that came oh. out this year. <laughs> yeah, it, it came and went. Yeah. I did uh, have... It won't be on my top 10, I'll say that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why not? Um, <laughs> I will say I did have a very nice interview with Eminem on our episode. I'm sorry. What? Uh-huh. Uh, on the episode I did that stupid. Oh, shit. I together with, uh, with Eminem. Uh, right, yeah. right, right. Good stuff. Check that out in our episode. Um, okay. Should I go into my stats? Please do. All right. So I'm going to preface this by saying that 
you know, going back and listening to the previous, I, I got up to 2019. Um, I didn't get to to listen to last year's year in review episode, but um, it's funny that I feel like in years past we have collectively given ourselves a hard time anytime we have low numbers yeah. and uh-huh. low viewing. And like, I don't know what it was, but like, I just kind of like, I did not feel like toward the end of the year or at any point in the year, I did not feel like, oh, I need to make sure that I get my numbers up. I need to make sure that I, that I watch as many movies as I can and everything. I had that reason for, I had, I wanted to do that for other reasons, but not because like, oh, that number is staring me in the face. Uh-huh. And I kind of feel like that's healthy. <laughs> right. Dude, <laughs> and that's, that's so healthy. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I felt the same thing. That's oh, yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the idea of just having a natural record of just how much you watch in a year and everything. And I think maybe the, maybe that's a perspective that I've gained after like, you know, the start of the pandemic and everything. And it's kind of making it a little bit more interesting as a data point. Um, in terms of, uh, how much instead of like, uh, uh, <laughs> to borrow a hashtag from, I think 2019, Mike, uh, to not make it into hashtag, not a competition. <laughs> um, <laughs> of course. But having said that, um, and I'm not saying this to gloat or anything, but my total viewings were 180, nice. which nice. I'm happy with. Um, that is, uh, in 2020, I had 283 like Mike. Um, so that is a drop of 64%, which I'm fine with. Uh, first viewings I had were 115 of those 180. So that's 63.9% of my total. And that is down 64%. I think that that's right. 64% from 2020's 179 first viewings. Uh, rewatches in 2021 are 65, which is 36.1% of my total. And down 63% from 2020's 104 rewatches. And theater viewings. Um, I have no idea. I, I don't know how many theater viewings I had in 2020. I think it was 11. I, I tried to find it, but I couldn't like, I was so, I think it's indicative of just how beaten by 2020 I was. Cause like I had <laughs> postponed recording our year in review. I went in my notes app today to find like the notes for the 2020 year in review episode and like half of it's filled out. <laughs> like I didn't have like my theater account or anything. So, cause I think I just used letterbox when we recorded. Mm-hmm. So I think that in 2020 I had 11, but um, in 2021 I had 28, which I'm very happy with. It's, it's nice to be back. Um, in the movie theater, I have tickets for Scream. I'm going to see the 355 tomorrow for some reason. Um, <laughs> and then I'm seeing Scream again on Friday. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm just super happy with that. Um, and three memorable slash special theater viewings that I had. I'll run them off real quick. One was <laughs> Voyagers on April 19th. <laughs> um, absolutely dreadful at best not memorable in the slightest movie it's basically uh lord of the flies in space with all the subtext of a sledgehammer in the face um or all the subtlety of it but it was my first movie back after covid after they reopened after i became vaccinated and everything yeah um and like i had timed that i was like i got the vaccine Two weeks after that, like two weeks to the day when I'm officially like fully vaccinated, I'm in the theater with a mask seeing Voyagers <laughs> and it just felt so freeing to me. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. nice. 
Um, so yeah, but Voyagers is trash. Um, so, uh, number two is a a very nice, uh, a movie that I'm going to be talking about, um, later here in a bit, but, uh, P.T. Anderson's Licorice Pizza. Um, I got to see that on December 7th at a screening with a bunch of, uh, colleagues from the IFGA. And the reason that that's pretty special to me is that, um, it was probably the biggest turnout of IFGA members in a theater screening in a while. Nice. And in 2020, I had to miss the annual meeting because I had COVID. <laughs> uh-huh. And we even did that virtually. And then this year, on like the 15th, we did that virtually as well over Zoom. And so it was just nice to be like in like in a theater with a bunch of people that I respect and I'm I'm friends with with the IFGA. And it was just, it was a really nice, a really nice kind of cathartic kind of theater experience. And then the third one is uh, December 16th, Spider-Man No Way Home. Listen to my episode with Fekas about it. That was the first, one of the first times I felt like, okay, things are back to normal almost, which is probably a dangerous thing to think. But Mm -hmm. in terms of the survivability of theaters, I felt more comfortable about the future of the movie theater experience that I have over the last two years. So that was just an incredible experience. It's uh, interesting. Cause I, I mean, I, I felt that in a way too. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. Spider-Man is obviously awesome. And, uh, but with, you know, Omicron surging the way it's surging yeah. and people, you know, th- like studios pushing January movies out of January. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it feels a little premature to call theaters back. Like I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm a little worried again, honestly. Yeah, that's true. I think that I think more if I can not amend it, but if I can kind of clarify it a little bit, it felt like the movie theater experience wasn't dead. I'll say that. Yeah, that's like, fair. Yeah, that's like, because we've had this, like, all of 2020, VOD, movie theaters gone for the indefinitely and everything. And then 2021, mm-hmm. we had Warner Brothers and HBO Max doing day and date theater and, and HBO Max stuff. We had Peacock um, or Paramount Plus, and we had all of these, like, day and date theater things. And so to be in a movie theater in a packed house for Spider-Man No Way Home, a movie that is only in theaters, and have it be have it be that monumental like crowd pleasing experience where the 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 theater is like as invested in it as they have been in as they were in Endgame. For sure. Yeah. And to add to that, the fact that we've also had that that was like the fourth MCU movie in theaters. <laughs> this year in 2021 yeah and like i did not experience that with any of those um except for spider-man so i just think that it's it's a it was a really special experience um some more letterboxed stats um uh the 180 movies i saw totaled 342.6 hours um i had a very like it's it's so interesting to see my my chart for films by week because it's like it, there's a pattern. It's like I I'm a, a low couple of weeks, a big spike in for a few weeks, and then another couple of low weeks, and then <laughs> spike and then everything, and then a massive one starting in like late November, um, because that's crunch time. I have to watch a lot of a lot of movies for the IFGA voting and everything. So that's that's kind of my life now, um, and I love it dearly. I absolutely adore it. <laughs> Um, I did not go more than two weeks without seeing a movie. I only saw like there were only one, two, three, four, five, six weeks out of the 52 weeks that I did not watch a movie. 
Um, and my uh, averages per month were 15 and average per week was 3.5. And my day, like, I was really excited about this because there is a two-way tie for biggest day and that's Wednesday and Sunday with 29 movies but every other month or every other day is like 24 25 28 except for uh Thursday which I had 17 so it's just an interesting like almost even graph mm-hmm. there a decent spread yeah oh yeah uh my top genres were drama with uh 40 something uh 68 sorry (laughs) and then tied for two were thriller and comedy with 45 each and then uh number three with 42 movies was horror which i was surprised about nice Mm -hmm. um because i've fallen off of horror for a little uh, for a little bit um did i already say 2021 releases I don't think not so. yet. No. no. So 2021 releases, I watched 87, which I'm happy with. Um, and then I'm switching back here. Um, and then. Okay. So a stat that you guys didn't, didn't talk about, but, and I'll ask you guys after I say mine is uh, first and last. Um, I've <clears throat> made kind of a conscious effort in years past to, kind of have like a kind of themed first and last movie last year. I don't think, or the couple of years ago, I didn't really, uh, that didn't really work out, but like, like, I don't know. Um, yeah, because in 2019 I watched, uh, Blade Runner for the, uh, for the first movie of the year. And then I wanted to watch Blade Runner 2049 to round it out, but then I ended up not. But anyway, uh, my first film of 2021 was super bad, which I recorded a commentary for, for Patreon for the $5 level. And the last movie was book smart. So I thought that that was a nice huh. way to kind of bookend it. Nice. Um, since they're so similar mm-hmm. and then, uh, top actors were Willem Dafoe with eight movies, uh, JK Simmons with eight movies, uh, Benedict Wong with seven, Chris Evans with six. Uh, there's a three-way tie for six films each uh so chris evans samuel jackson and jamie lee curtis i each watched six Mm. and then for the second year in a row and i will say it is going to be a third year in a a row in a row next next year if i do the thing that i'm planning on doing but uh most watched director was akira kurosawa with five movies um couple of one of them i i record a patreon commentary for um then second uh tied for second was wes craven with four movies the scream movies um and lana wachowski uh with four movies which i watched uh the matrix movies um as well and i think that's about it for my stats uh yeah pretty good year i'm happy with it i'm i i will say i am off to a very very big start in 2022 not the hashtag not a competition (laughs) but um i'm really feeling like it's a it's an interesting kind of um cool down time for me where like usually it's like okay i'm burnt out from watching movies and everything but now it's like now it's like i've i've got like my end of year commitments done so i kind of want to watch movies either that are familiar to me or are something that are that's a blind spot to me but i don't want like that's a blind spot to me that i won't have any commitment to like write about or podcast about Mm -hmm. so that's awesome yeah so i've i've been doing that and uh i also made a letterbox list of uh movies that i own that i haven't seen yet which we'll we'll probably talk about later if we remember 
Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's hefty. Um, that's a scary list. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but yeah, but that's my that's those are my stats for 2021. All right. So we have gone through our stats and everything. So did you guys want to talk briefly about movies that we missed in 2021 that we think may have had a shot at our top tens or uh, anyone, any of them that we didn't get to that we wish we would have seen before uh, we're before before right now, this moment? <laughs> that <laughs> Mike, feels like go a first? good place to start. Yeah, and I'll start. Um, I missed kind of some of the obvious ones. I didn't get a chance to see Don't Look Up on Netflix. Um, come On, Come On is not one that I was super familiar with, but you mm-hmm. guys uh, raved about it and I was not able to catch that one. Uh, that one like didn't even come to theaters nearby me, yeah. so I wasn't able to see that. Uh, Power of the Dog, I just did not prioritize, but I wanted to see that. Um, Last Night in Soho kind of got some pretty strong mixed reviews, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was on on a lot of the horror movie, uh, like top horror movies of the year lists that I saw. So I felt a little bit like I missed out on that. Uh, Same with the Slumber Party Massacre remake. I didn't get to check that one out. Uh, And I I guess it's pronounced Titan or Titane. Yeah, Titan. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm actually not like looking at it. It doesn't particularly interest me mm-hmm. <laughs> all that much, uh, but it's uh, it just um, it's on so many end of the year lists that I feel like I yeah. should have seen it. Um, so that those are those are pretty much the big ones that I didn't get to see. Yeah, I will say this. Um, don't look up. Don't bother. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. It, I'm I'm curious. I, I am curious what you think of it. And Tiny, I know you recently saw it, but mm-hmm. my I was proud of my Letterboxd uh, review of it. But I'll just really briefly, and then we can go to Tiny's. I'm sorry. Um, but I said on Letterboxd for Don't Look Up, the new Adam McKay movie. Um, I said. This is a stupid movie made by a stupid person who thinks he's making a smart movie that will outsmart stupid people. <laughs> um, wow. It is like harsh I, words. Yeah, it is. Here's the thing. It is so up its ass and condescending about its viewpoint that I'm just like, I, it's just, it. I agree with what they're saying, but I'm like, I think it's so condescending that I'm like, I can't, I can't. It is uh, in no way clever at all. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Very okay. surface level. Nothing about it is smart. No. Yeah. Interesting. But, I, I kind of liked yeah. it a little bit, oh, honestly, but it was not, it, I'm very critical of it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Any others that you missed, Mike, or? No, those are kind of the big ones. Okay. I mean, I, I missed quite a few, but not not a whole lot that to, to talk about. Okay. Tiny, how about you? Yeah, just to list a few. Um, the, the biggest number one regret is Licorice Pizza. Oh, um, yeah. Because I love uh, P.T. Anderson. And, he, you know, he's one of my favorites, top top five favorites. And I just didn't get around to it. Um, yeah. Totally dropped the ball. But a couple of the other ones were um, The Last Duel. Sounds really fun. Yeah. Uh, a, lot yeah. of, a lot of positive stuff about that. Coda, which, um, mm. I, man, I just couldn't. I struggle with Apple <laughs> getting oh, over to, yeah. their, to use their. I just have... I don't know. I have trouble with their uh, interface. It, mm. uh, it's it's a technology issue, actually. I tried to watch it once, and it wouldn't just wouldn't work. It's, oh, it's it sucks. Yeah, huh. um, that's annoying. Yeah, it's yeah. a bummer. Um, and then one of the other kind of big ones was West Side Story. Oh yeah, Being, uh, I'm a big musical fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that. Yeah, I didn't get to catch that one either. Yeah. Oh, wow. I heard positive yeah. things about that one. So yeah, those are just a few. Nice of awesome. many that I didn't get to see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, ones that I missed were Annette. 
which tiny i know you started it and just couldn't get into it i did i had to turn it off oh um, interesting. I, I don't know i kind of want to give it another chance but yeah i okay. wasn't into it nice um so annette uh the humans which is on amazon on or on showtime uh, i've heard really great things about it and also lamb um mm, sounded no. really interesting no it's not nope. no <laughs> no in a, in a similar way to don't look up um nice. it's it's i mean i think people considered it a horror movie and mm-hmm. you know i i it, it's one of my pet peeves when people complain about a horror movie not being scary yeah you know and i'm always pretty liberal when it comes to like calling a thing a horror movie mm-hmm. uh if you want it to be sure Th- this is really 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 not a horror movie okay and in the in a very strict sense uh it, it's so, almost no tension oh uh, wow yeah and i don't even mean that it's hard to explain what i mean it's it's like the the genre is misnamed calling that a horror movie interesting okay i'm not saying that i didn't find it scary i'm saying there's nothing to be scared of wow. it's a drama it's a drama mm. Fantasy drama. I didn't see that one either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, I think uh, another one I'll throw out there is Zola, which I didn't have really any interest in, but I heard like Coleman Domingo does a really great job as, in a supporting role in that. Um, but it's a movie based on a Twitter thread. So that's kind of interesting huh. to me in a <laughs> weird way. Um, but yeah. But other than that, I, I think I, I got to see just about everything I was hoping to see in 2021. So, or in some cases, everything I was hoping to see in 2020 in 2021. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I, I feel really good about the top 10 list this year. Yeah. Uh, specifically because I, I was in a much better place mentally for the most part in 2021. Um, yeah. And so do you guys want to talk about your honorable mentions? I'm going to nope out of the honorable men- mentions cause I'm going to do a separate episode with podcast stats and Patreon stats and, uh, the recurring co-host top 10 and everything. That's when I'll do my honorable mentions. So if you okay. guys want to go ahead and honorable mention some movies, uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. And I'll, yeah, I'll keep the format. Um, so I, d- I, I don't want to be cheeky and I, and I considered it for a second, but as I decided to like to keep the integrity of our top 10 list. Uh, I almost put the Beatles documentary on this top 10 list. I was going to uh, ask oh. you if you considered that a movie or not. <laughs> well, I didn't. Uh, okay. I didn't. I mean, it's a mini series and I just, I, I watch a lot of, I don't know, live music movies. I watch, you know, document a lot of like live documentaries. And I just, I just didn't feel like um, it, I didn't feel like it fit. And I didn't want any, I I didn't want to have to like you guys to make any concessions. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, outside of my number one movie, the Beatles was one of the happiest pieces of content that I consumed all year. I mean, it's, it's undoubtedly my number two thing that I watched this year. Um, It it was such a delight and joy to watch, uh, you know, idols of mine uh, create a thing and, and kind of be a little different than you expect them to have been at that time. And they're silly and goofy and, and then they're just kind of screwing around and all of a sudden they just write, get back, just poof, uh, get back <laughs> out, of, out of thin air. Um, wow. So that is, 
if if I'm being cheeky and 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 winking a little bit at, at you guys, that's my number two movie of the year is nice. is the Beatles Get Back. But <laughs> uh, but but I won't. I'll save mm-hmm. that for honorable mention. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Other than that, uh, the Night House was on my top oh, ten yeah. for a while uh, uh, until the end of the year. Uh, uh, one of the high up movies kind of bumped out. Uh, the last one, uh, I really liked the night house a lot. I thought, um, thought it had, uh, an interesting concept, really good, like effective jump scares. I know, mm-hmm. I know jump is a four letter word when it comes to scares in horror <laughs> movies. Um, but I think when they're done effectively and, and with an artful eye, they say something, uh, about horror and what the movie is trying to say. hundred percent. The agree. reason nice. I kind of, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. The reason I kind of bumped it off the list uh, uh, is because the movie is is, is a heavy metaphor uh, for grief. Uh, but in, in a sense, in the end of the movie, it kind of tries to have its cake and eat it, too. Uh, yeah. and, and the metaphor falls apart a little bit for me at the end. So I, I decided to to kind of push it. It's close. I really enjoyed it. But it but it is my number 11. Uh, and then nice. finally. Tick, tick, boom. Uh, mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield, the life of Jonathan Larson, uh, who created Rent, um, was a Netflix exclusive. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Tiny, like you said, I love musicals as well. I also love Rent a lot. And there's a lot of like shades of the music of Rent in Tick, Tick, Boom uh, mm-hmm. that I really liked. Andrew Garfield is just having a hell of a year this year, yeah. which is so much fun to watch the not that people disliked him but like the narrative surrounding him uh it, it, is so awesome you know yeah. tick tick boom he, he's getting oscar buzz for it uh he was in another movie recently uh that people are kind of reconsidering um his part in that same role uh with a new lens and a new eye and saying mm. man Maybe we like underappreciated this talent. Maybe, maybe he was the best actor to do this thing. And and, and I really <laughs> love that for him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you know, in a year when he lost his mother and has been doing. Like, oh, I didn't really, know that. Yeah, yeah he like, did. Yeah. He, wow. he was on Colbert, and it was a very, very sweet moment hmm. talking about grief. Uh, yeah. To Stephen Colbert, who has dealt with tremendous grief in his life. Yeah. YouTube um, that for sure. Yeah. Right. It's it's huh. absolutely worth a watch. Um. So I, I, I kind of cheated a little bit and, and it was like I wanted to give one musical uh, representation on my list. And I ended up going with my number 10. Mm. Uh, but Tick, Tick, Boom is absolutely a great movie. Um, better than most of the movies from 2020. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kind of a circumstance of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, but I really liked it a lot. So those are, those are my three honorable mentions. Nice. Well, that's great. Uh, tiny honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, tick, tick, boom was a regret that I had this year. I should have seen that one as a musical fan. I, and it was right there on Netflix and I never got around (laughs) to it. Um, uh, I guess you could say number 13, uh, was a pretty underrated movie that I'm sure a lot of people didn't see called the courier, which I think it was actually filmed in like 2019 was supposed to come Mm -hmm. out in 2020, but it is technically a 2021 release. Mm -hmm. Um, we watched it on Amazon and it's, kind of fits into a formula um but the ending was a a nice surprise and like kind of the um 
the climax in the denouement was kind of a nice surprise. Uh, mm. It wasn't quite so formulaic. It wasn't what I was expecting, and so that made it a kind of a nice, nice movie. Um, and that's Benedict Cumberbatch. In that, Benedict right? Cumberbatch, yeah. yeah. That's kind of funny considering the other movie he was in this year. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, it was it was a kind of a nice surprise. I, I recommend mm. it. Um, Shang Chi and the Le- Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched that. I caught that real late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched it like in December, finally. Um, and <laughs> Me it was too. I watched it wrapping presents. Okay, oh, wow. nice. Yeah. Um, I was just pleasantly surprised with it. Um, I, you know, I'm not really a big fan of <sighs> gratuitous. How how do I want to put it? Like gratuitous representation, like. We're Asian people. We're making an Asian movie, and I'm like, okay. we're women. We're making a movie for women, mm-hmm. or like, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's not all that effective on me. Mm-hmm. But like, the Asian pride was so fun in this movie. Okay, I I, just, I really felt it, and I, it was so effective, and like, I like related to it for some reason. I'm not even remotely Asian, um, but it just it felt like a celebration, and and it was um, like I compared it to um, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, oh, yeah. uh, you know, which I didn't love that i didn't really like that movie all that much it was okay mm-hmm. uh, which was obviously a celebration of asian culture but it just it didn't really affect me at all i didn't it didn't really um uh i resonate. didn't appreciate it didn't resonate mm-hmm. uh but this totally did and it wasn't even like the point of the movie it was about the you know it had its own story and it, it was uh, an origin story for this character and mm-hmm. uh um i don't know it just i guess i guess that just really it, it connected with me for uh, kind of surprisingly, and, and and it was a really positive way, and I really liked that about it. Um, nice. And also, uh, they had a pretty good villain. Like, um, yeah, like uh, Marvel tends to have terrible villains for mm-hmm. their origin movies, and uh, I think this was an effective one, at least from a character level. It was, it was, uh, it was a good one. So I liked Shang Chi. It was on my top ten for a while, um, and then the harder they fall. Oh um, yeah, that was such a cool movie. Um, it had like one of the best casts of mm-hmm. uh, the whole year, in my opinion. Um, it, so, some of the actors that I'm so excited about, uh, like um, Lakeith Stanfield, is like like an actor that I'm just like you know so excited about for the future, and he was prominently featured in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and, and a couple up and comers who I've never even heard of and never seen them in anything. Mm-hmm. And they just blew me away in this movie. Such such good character work and great acting, and just a fun, um, uh, a really fun uh, genre movie mm-hmm. with its own spin on it. Really yeah. cool movie. So yeah, those are my uh, those are my quick honorable mentions right there. Nice, um, That's awesome. Yeah, <clears throat> and like I said, I'll do my honorable mentions in a separate episode with a bunch of other fun stuff. But in lieu of an honorable mention in this one, I do want to mention one of the best things I saw in 2021 was not a movie but a Netflix special, uh, Bo Burnham Inside. Oh, genius. Yeah, oh, how did I fail to mention that? Yeah, that, that's something else entirely as well. Yeah. I didn't count it either, but that that's mm-hmm. uh, that's easily in my top five. Yeah, p- bits of content this year. Absolutely, like just that man is amazing. Um, and also, I do recommend. I'm only a couple episodes in, but uh, Zach Stone is going to be famous. Is now on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a one season MTV show that Bo Burnham did uh, mm-hmm. back in the day, and it's. It's it's really fun. Uh, at least these first two episodes. So check that out. Um, I watched it twice yeah. while bottle feeding my newborn son. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, in the in late nights, mm-hmm. uh, you know, early mornings. Nice, awesome. 
Um, yeah. Anything else to talk about before we get into our top tens? Am I forgetting anything? Movies we missed, honorable mentions. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, anything else you guys want to bring up before we get into our top tens of 2021? I don't think so. I'm Let's do this go. thing. Ready I'm ready. All right, perfect. Well, what we usually do is we'll do round robin, 10, 9, 8, 7, blah, blah, blah. Um, in a couple of years ago, we did a thing where we we skipped if one of us had our the other's number one. Let's not do that. We'll We'll just do it sure. regular cool so, okay yeah, yeah good All idea right. yeah so we're gonna start with number 10 on our top 10 list uh mike do you want to get us kicked off with your number 10 yeah so my number 10 uh was the other musical that i was talking about this year and i just gave a slight edge to in the heights uh which is directed by john m chu uh which is an adaptation of the the stage musical uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's first stage musical kind of mm-hmm. before Hamilton he did In the Heights uh, and it's really awesome you know you talked about Shang-Chi being a celebration uh, of Asian culture and and not intentionally so it's just a, a, a martial arts movie that happens to celebrate that culture well In the Heights really is a celebration of Latino culture uh, and dreamers coming to America um, and I just thought that it was it was a good time for that kind of a message. Uh, it was a fun experience to see in a movie theater in you know kind of a, a sad year going through COVID. Um, but more than anything, the music just uh, what do the kids say? It bops, it slaps. <laughs> <laughs> it's a vibe. Uh, it's a vibe. Yeah, it's so well done. There's one. Uh, I mean, there's several production numbers, but there's one that takes place at a pool kind of mm-hmm. in the middle that just I mean, I was uh, like I could have been out of my seat dancing along uh, to this musical for a couple weeks. I listened to the soundtrack afterwards. I just think what Lin-Manuel is able to do in blending uh, like hip hop uh, style of music with Latin flavors in into like musical sounding music like you know i played my wife uh a little bit of one of the songs from tick tick boom and mm-hmm. she was like is this a musical i was like yes <laughs> but it's good uh and so in the heights songs kind of do that at times it, it, it'll start like a musical like they you know they bump into each other and mm-hmm. a sentence turns into a song uh but I love that, and I especially love it when it's done in a fresh way, when it has a strong message, uh, and it's about a culture, uh, and it's kind of about our time. Uh, I think is timely, effective, really fun, really interesting, great music. Uh, my number 10, In the Heights. Nice. Sweet. Awesome. Tiny, did you watch In the Heights? I did. I was definitely nice. positive on it. I liked okay. it. Yeah, it's nice. a good movie. Uh, I watched it too. It's not on my top 10 or honorable mentions, but I really enjoyed it. I, I liked it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Anthony Ramos. Uh, amazing. So good. So, yeah. so freaking good. Yep. Um, yeah. Good pick. Uh, Thank you. Tiny. Oh, oh, by the way, I am going to p- be putting links to everything that we have talked about um, and every podcast episode, Patreon special, every written review and everything for each movie discussed in here. So check the show notes and the website for all of that. But Tiny, your numero tenno. My number 10 is Being the Ricardos. Interesting. Yes. Um, I think this movie kind of had mixed reviews um, and it is an Aaron Sorkin uh, production. Uh, he wrote and directed, and I think you know Aaron Sorkin is. Um, I, I am an unabashed fan of him. I just I adore the man's writing. 
Um, I, he's really talented in my book. Um, but I do think the way I've come to describe him is he's an acquired taste. And um, I'm thinking back to, I don't think it was this year. I think it was maybe even two years ago, Matt, you did a series. Uh, you did a retrospective on um, um, Tarantino, Tarantino yeah, with yeah. Fekas. 2019. Yeah, 2019. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you, I, I've come to sort of think of Sorkin in the same vein as Tarantino. Okay. Where, because in a few times during that retrospective, you described Tarantino as mostly a style director. He is a style. He doesn't have. He's not so much about the substance or the story or all that stuff. He just wants to convey his style. He's just highly yeah. stylistic, and that's how I describe Aaron Sorkin. He has his. He has his formula. He has his habits, and he sticks to them with everything he does. And the thing is, I just love his style. It <laughs> it just it speaks to me, and it's. It's what I it's what I adore. It's not uh, it's not realistic. <laughs> it's not um, it's not uh, it's not it's not like a common thing. Like you can't even say like oh he's like Ridley Scott or like Steven Spielberg or anything. Like he's he's his own thing. And and I un- completely understand if people just don't don't uh, don't jive with it. But mm-hmm. I just really really do. And and he just speaks to me. And uh, being the Ricardos was totally. Sorkin, uh, Sorkining it up full, full <laughs> on. Um, I do think he's better as a writer. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I think, I don't think he's a bad director by any means. Um, but I, I think his works are better when he hands it off to a different director. Yeah. Um, I will say that, but, um, there's also some incredible performances here. The casting is amazing. JK Simmons, uh, was a performance that really stood out in this, in this movie. Um, uh, gosh, I, I'm blanking on his name right now, Buster Bluth, Tony oh, Hale. Tony Hale. Tony Hale is so amazing mm. to see him in anything, but especially a big, like, dramatic role like this was so great because he was really good in this. And, and it was really cool to see him and, uh, oh, what's her name? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, maybe. Maybe uh, Aaliyah Shawkat. Aaliyah Shawkat right. in the same movie. Like, that's, right. that's really cool. Totally. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, great. Just really great acting in this. Um, I was a little skeptical on Nicole Kidman as playing Lucille Ball, but I think she did a really good job. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just the, the confluence of events, the structure to set it over a week. Um, it takes place in like one of my favorite eras of American of American history, kind of the, you know, post-war era, um, mm-hmm. baby boomer era. Uh, I find that so fascinating. So it's just, it was just banging on all, all cylinders for me personally. And, uh, also my family has a history with, uh, I love Lucy. We used to watch yeah. VHS copies of it all the time when we were kids and I used to laugh <laughs> my ass off. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it was just banging on all cylinders and nostalgia and all mm-hmm. that stuff for me. And I just really adored the movie. So, uh, it was definitely had a spot on my top 10. Nice. Yeah. For, for a moment, I was a little afraid you were going to say my family has a history with McCarthyism (laughs) (laughs) in the House on American Activities Committee. Um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. And this is like the... 19th time that Aaron Sorkin has written about HUAC and oh, yeah. people being called to, uh, you know, testify. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like, it's one of his wells he draws from all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, he's a bit repetitive and everything. And yeah. I, I get that, but he just speaks to me. Yeah. Did yeah. you, you saw the trial of the Chicago seven, right? It was on my top 10 last year. Okay. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And did you ever see Molly's game? I have not watched that yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It didn't look very good to me. It, it really wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Uh, all right. So my number 10, um, like this is the moment where we start to saying our number, saying our, saying our list. And then I get an existential, like freak out moment where I'm like, should this be number this? Should this be number that? <laughs> um, yeah, here, yeah. I mean, after we do it, it's set to record now. Yeah, exactly. It's out. Oh yeah. The, the no letterbox pressure. lists no go pressure. public. Um, so, uh, my number 10 is Denny, Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Um, this was a, a, a very kind of, kind of tough sell for me almost. Um, I came out of the, I saw it twice in theaters and then once for a commentary track for Patreon. So I've seen this movie three times <laughs> and it grows with each viewing because that first viewing, I was a little bit cold on it. Um, because I didn't necessarily expect the what what Villeneuve, Villeneuve was going to concentrate on in it. And when I kind of got that, and I feel like this is a bit of a cop out to say like, oh, well, you know, uh, I watched it a few times and it grew on me and everything like, should it stand on its own as uh, on a first viewing or not? Hmm. But I really grew to respect what he did with that. And there's been a lot of maligning of it saying like, well, it's only half a movie, which it does feel like part one. It feels more like part one than any other part one has felt like a part one in <laughs> recent does. memory. Yeah, yeah totally. it does. Yeah. But the, the ensemble cast, the, the sound design, the visuals, the realization, the like the visualization of Arrakis and all of these things in the Duneverse. Um, <laughs> and I still think that it is just, just a stroke of genius the way that he is able to condense this very dense mythology and world building and everything into something that shouldn't work a voiceover by a character that's barely in the movie um just uh, espousing dialogue and espousing exposition to us it shouldn't work but the combination of that and the visuals it's like you you it brings us in we know what the conflict is we know what we're going to be getting into and from there it's just a really well-told story um I do still wish that there were some like elements that were focused on more, but by the end of it, I think that it is a, it, it stands on its own as a very interesting science fiction film uh, that is that is really uh, uh, an impressive achievement visually and uh, film filmmakingly. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's yeah. So that's my number ten, Dune. I really uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Mike. Do you want to hit us with your number nine? Sure. So uh, my number nine is The Matrix Resurrections. And oh, interesting. if there are controversial takes, and I don't think that I'm very controversial or 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 uh, uh, like I didn't put the Beatles in here, even mm-hmm. though I think there could be an argument made. But um, I think this is the is this is the one that had the most mixed reviews is The Matrix Resurrections. I do think that it is a departure for the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll say at the onset, my biggest uh, qualm, uh, which is why does this movie exist? Um, I don't know that it was fully satisfied. I think mm-hmm. there, it, not to spoil too much, but there is a bit of a meta reference uh, early on in the movie that talks about studio meddling, right? Mm. Like um, that that points to. So uh, again, I don't think this is a spoiler because I, I think there's some truth to this production that I think Warner Brothers would have made this movie with or without the Wachowski siblings. Um, mm-hmm. so part of this movie feels like uh, Lana Wachowski just saying. Well, 
I'm not going to let you ruin my baby. So I, mm-hmm. I got to make something. Um, that said, I do think it is a it is a middle finger to our expectations. I think it's a middle <laughs> finger to Warner Brothers. Um, the movie doesn't look like The Matrix. It's not yeah. green. There's no mm-hmm. green tint to it. Um, there are the, it's you know it's a love story, so it's not about you know he's not the chosen one it's it's there's more focus on um not so much world building like the other two but like mythology expanding on neo and and the characters that uh with which he interacts with and Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to avoid spoilers but there's obviously one character in particular uh and it's about that relationship um so i i just think that there is the movie is saying something interesting that I don't know that I grasped onto at first viewing. Uh, my first viewing was this is the matrix and it's awesome. It feels a little different. They didn't do bullet time. It doesn't look green. Uh, I thought that they had achieved peace in the third movie. This doesn't look like peace, but there's something uh, punk rock and, and anarchic about uh, the experience of this movie that as a punk rock kid, as a bit of an anarchist myself, uh, I, I really kind of latched onto that ethos reading about the movie later. Um, mm. It's not one of my favorites in the franchise. Uh, I mean, clearly not n- number one, but I do think it's better than three. And I love the franchise so much. Uh, and I, and I, I love, um, like I said, the ethos of this movie. I think what, the, what Lana Wachowski is trying to say here uh, goes a long way for me. Uh, it goes at least long enough to end up my number nine <laughs> on, on my list here. Cool. Nice. Yeah. It didn't make any of my list, but uh, I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the concept was a really good idea. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Tiny, how about your number nine? Uh, my number nine is the documentary Val. Oh, came nice. out this year. Yeah. Um, I, I watched it on uh, Amazon Prime, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just really loved the intimacy of this documentary. Um, Val Kilmer spent decades, uh, you know, filming behind the scenes stuff on some legendary movies, um, big Hollywood movies that a lot of us love, at least in our generation and older. Mm-hmm. Um and so that stuff was fun to see, and it it was so poignant uh, given the situation that Val Kilmer is in now. Um, for those who don't know, he had um, throat cancer, yeah, and mm-hmm. he had to have a permanent tracheotomy put in or something like that. And he has mm-hmm. the um, he can't speak very well anymore, um, and it's effectively ruined his career. Um, and he was. Um, it's mentioned in the documentary, he was approaching, um, what he considered to be the role of a lifetime for him and Mm -hmm. he got started on it. And then the, his cancer reward, it's ugly, reared its ugly head. And that was kind of the end of it for him. And he's never going to be able to really do it. Um, and that's, that, that was just a, a real shame to watch in the documentary, but it was incredible to just witness his story juxtaposed with his current situation, um, and it was uh, narrated by his son, Jack. Was that his son? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was wondering. Um, and he has a very similar sounding voice mm-hmm. uh, to, to Val Kilmer. So that was uh, uh, kind of a treat uh, wow. in, in that regard. But um, I, I just loved the um, the unabashed intimacy 
of this documentary and and uh, mm-hmm. the fearlessness of it from yeah. Val Kilmer um, and the vulnerability. I mean, some people who would come to that horrible fork in their in the road of their life would just you know completely recluse themselves you know become a recluse and don't Mm. want to talk to anybody but he chose to put a camera on his face and and that's just incredible that he chose to do that and i really respect him for it um and i also love val kilmer the guy is a true true artist and it's Mm. it's exemplified in the movie really well um the the guy was he kind of I, i i would say based on how he spoke about his career and his craft, he kind of transcended the art. Uh, and, and, you know, he, a lot of people probably associate him with kind of big popcorn movies. I mean, yeah. he played Batman, which is one of the most coveted roles in yeah. all of Hollywood. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, he did these big popcorn movies, but um, he approached those roles like he was going for an Oscar, you mm-hmm. know, and that's, that's just how it was just a craft for him. It was a calling. And uh, I just, I loved seeing that, exemplified over a three or four decade career yeah. uh from straight from the horse's mouth uh it's, it's such a cool documentary uh i highly recommend it it was really good nice yeah yeah and that's on amazon prime yep um mike did you get a chance to see that one i did not uh, no yeah i recommend it too it didn't make my list but um yeah i recommend it uh my number nine is coda um just a lovely lovely movie um breakout performance by amelia jones i mean she was incredible um Mm -hmm. and also the supporting supporting cast is great but also troy uh, kosser who played her father like those two together there are there are scenes in this movie that had me like very very choked up it's it's such a beautiful (laughs) such a beautiful like family drama and coming of age story and just this beautifully realized um film about about family and connection and you know being um being tethered to your family and wanting to do well for your family but also having your own goals your own dreams your own uh, things and like that kind of clash the way that it clashes with them not understanding you or you not understanding them or you, their need for you it's just it is such a rich rich movie and the way that it culminates in certain aspects like there are there are multiple scenes that like i said had me like almost in tears and like i said amelia jones phenomenal like the there's a scene uh-huh. at the end of the movie where she does something that is just I mean, spectacular. And to see the reactions, it's just, it's, it's such a, it's such a beautiful, beautiful and, and warm movie that just feels just so, so warm. Yeah. Um, it was a huge hit at Sundance. And then fortunately it was, it's on, uh, Apple TV, uh, plus now, but the, um, another aspect of it is the kind of filming of it, the location of it, the, the fact that, uh, a lot of the actors are, are, uh, deaf people. Um, that aspect of it is very interesting. The, the way that the communication is done, the, the like little subtleties to the American sign language that's used in it. It's just, it's such, it's such a great movie. And there's, there are moments in it that are just hilarious as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it. I love it. Coda number 10, number nine, sorry, uh, for 2021 for me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike. Yeah. I'm going to talk about Coda later. Nice. Uh, 
So my number eight is The Green Knight. Uh, Some of my favorite movie experiences are when uh, uh, like a whole genre of a movie subverts my my tendencies, uh, uh, my interests. I Mm -hmm. don't really like medieval uh, pictures and I certainly don't like fantasies. And this was a medieval fantasy movie. I also (laughs) don't love slow plotting journeys in movies. Um, And so this sounds totally antithetical to that, (laughs) but there was something about the green Knight that just spoke to me and, and such a, uh, such a strong, impactful way. As I was watching it, I found it so entertaining. Um, I don't traditionally, when I see movies, have an eye for brilliant uh, or mindful or thoughtful cinematography. That's not, I'm a story guy. I'm a characters guy. Um, most of the rest of the movies that I'll be talking about are are stories and characters. Mm-hmm. And this one isn't so much. I mean, this is, you know, one of the knights that we know about, Sir Gawain, uh, and, you know, his, his adventure. And I don't usually find that stuff so interesting. Um, and you'll just have to for- forgive the cliches, but these scenes were tapestries. I mean, mm-hmm. they were there were shots that were paintings, that were just works of art, um, where everything is framed in such a way that it that it looks like you're watching an art installation rather rather than just this cool uh, medieval story. I mean, it's it's haunting. It's spooky. That that might have spoken to me. Some of the horror mm-hmm. aspects of it. It's it's not really a frightening movie, but it's an unsettling. Um, you know, it's a dark fantasy kind yeah. of thing. Um, and it's a meditation on heroism and bravery and truthfulness uh, and honesty. So I thought Dev Patel's. Um, that's the actor, right? Dev yeah. Patel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I thought his performance was incredible and, and not all that. I mean, there's not a whole lot to do. He does a lot of silent acting Mm -hmm. uh, and solo acting in this thing. It's not like there are these crazy monologues that he goes on, but um, I was just a, a movie that I wouldn't have expected to like. I was so thoroughly and consistently entertained for the entire run run time. It's easily a number eight for me. Nice. Sweet. Very nice. I'll be talking about that later, but... Me too. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Very nice. Cool. Um, Tiny, how about your number eight? Uh, my number eight is Come On, Come On, nice. uh, which was um, uh, directed by, written and directed by uh, Mike Mills, uh, who I'm not especially familiar with, but um, this this movie was so... It was kind of strange because I feel like a story like this it would take place during, I feel like it was that this, this movie took place during the aftermath of the most significant events in these people's lives. Um, so like, like, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so like Joaquin Phoenix's character and his, uh, his sister, um, played by Gabby Hoffman, Mm -hmm. they've been through so much drama in their life and all these huge earth shattering family shattering events and the movie takes place after that mm-hmm. right we get to see little glimpses of it but even s- some of the scenes where like in the past during those dramatic events they were fighting literally screaming at each other there's not even any sound and mm-hmm. i thought that was strange um until we get 
you know, it, it, until you understand how it influences the story we're actually watching. We're, the, the reason why the story of a man who is kind of thrust into the position of caring for a, a boy, a child for the first time in his life, um, the reason why it's significant is because of what he's learned throughout all the dramatic moments in his life and all of the um, uh, the, the, the terrible um, earth-shattering parts of his life have already happened and he's developed into this man who's thrust into this position and he's able to face that because of what he's been through and and same thing with his sister um and it's it's just interesting you would think the movie would be about those other things but it's it's about this and it's it's really you know compared to all that other stuff him having to watch a kid for a few months isn't a big mm-hmm. deal uh but it's it, it's really cool to see to just see how those things juxtapose with one another it's it was so cool um i also loved how his character um uh, it, it's a little vague what his, his actual occupation is, but he yeah. goes around and goes around and interviews kids about what they think the future is going to be like and, mm. and uh, what their life is currently like and what they've been through. And it's, it's interesting to see how, how he grows in that regard after having to, re- having to look after a kid and kind of become a surrogate father to this mm. kid. Um, and it's, it's, it's really fascinating. He's got all these questions for these kids around the country and he records it and it's, you know, he's, he's making art based on this stuff. And meanwhile, he has, he has a direct link to the source <laughs> uh, with a kid at home. And it's, it's funny cause he doesn't, he, he doesn't really ask all these questions of his nephew. He only asks it to these other kids. He's, he's, uh, he's interviewing it's it's really interesting the way the story kind of meanders and and uh you know it's it's one of those movies you know it's it's all in black and white and it's mm-hmm. definitely kind of an oscar Beatty um artistic indie movie but it's like i said it kind of avoids all these uber dramatic moments that these mm-hmm. people go through and it focuses on the in-between stuff and i thought that was so brilliant and clever and just really fun to watch um and of course amazing performances um oh yeah gabby hoffman is most famous as a child actor um right. she was in like uncle buck and like a couple of like 90s that's right movies and then just didn't act for a long time and she was in uh she was in the hbo show girls mm-hmm. which i saw her in but i you know i just i associate her with like a child actor and don't really have much of a beat on how she is as an actor, as an adult. And she was just phenomenal in this. I, I really felt her, I felt her pain and her, uh, her, um, her stress. She was so stressed in this movie mm-hmm. and it really, that really translated well in her performance. Um, and not to mention, uh, the, the child actor, Woody Norman, who played, yeah. who played the kid. I mean, just incredible how they, I hope this kid doesn't have damage later in life because <laughs> right. he, he had some, uh, some sort of intense things to deal with, but uh, he did a great job too. So it's a really unique and clever and brilliant movie. I I really loved Come On, Come On. Nice. Yeah. I will be talking about that later. Sweet. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Um, Okay. So my number eight is, I feel like I have to preface this or I feel like I have to, I don't know, because I feel weird, not weird, but, there are a number of movies on my list that are that did not have like wide releases or that I saw like film festivals or through through other connections and everything. But this movie number eight is Drive My Car, 
which is a Japanese uh, three-hour film about a man who loses his wife, and then two years later he is uh, basically he is putting on a show of Uncle Vanya um, uh, in Hiroshima, and it's it's really interesting because the performance is like he's using multiple languages. It's a multilingual. Uh, production. So, like, one character speaks speaks Japanese, one character speaks English, one character speaks, like, Chinese, or uh, one person signs and everything, and that's how the production is done. Hmm. But what's really just absolutely entrancing about Drive My Car is how it's about it's, – it's, it's about the complexities of love and how this character deals with – the 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 pain and the grief that he experiences um two years after losing his wife and it's in a different way than what you would kind of expect because it's more of a grief of knowledge like he knows things about uh, he knows things that he shouldn't know and he also wants to know things that people that he is around knows but he can't really communicate that all that well. So it's this very intricate, like, rumination on the complexities of love and grief and how, how, uh, and to a lesser extent, like how, like, language is, uh, is used and everything. Um, it's just, it's so, it's just so entrancing, like I said. And, uh, the big point of the movie or the, the titular point of the, of the movie, um, I just noticed on my letterbox review that I think I typed sorry instead of sorrow twice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the, it's, it, it's something that'll stay with me for a while, but it, it's just very beautiful. Like it's, um, the titular, the, the reason the title is drive my car is because when he is, when he is, uh, hired to, to do that, to direct that play, um, the the company is like you need to have a driver and so the driver literally drives his car and they have a really good like chemistry and this really good like um relationship that grows that's that's um platonic and it's just it's all about grief between them um it's it's just really really beautiful and i do have to say that uh this Friday on the 14th or 15th um it is playing in Indianapolis at the Can Can um theater and i really recommend it like i said it's a 3 hour movie but it is beautiful and it's it's amazing because you get the first 40 40 45 minutes is the first act of the movie and then once that's done you get the opening credits and it's like it's <laughs> wow. just and it doesn't feel like it though it's wow. like it is so it's it's so well done and so um so brilliantly paced that it's just you don't feel that runtime because it's just so um immersive but i absolutely loved it it's drive my car it's number eight and it's playing at the can can this weekend in indianapolis sweet yeah and i believe it is japan's uh, official selection for the oscars and i would be shocked if uh if it doesn't win hmm. And also, uh, it was the runner-up for best film in the IFGA. So, oh, cool. There's that. Um, awesome. Yeah, and so that's my number eight. And Mike, do you want to bring us into your number seven? Yeah, number seven, a movie we've talked about already, uh, Dune, 
uh, nice. ends up at number seven on my list. And one of the things uh, that I think is really cool about Dune, uh, and you see it a couple times, it's a bit rare, um, but when a movie um, is influenced by a thing that is influenced by its own source material. And what I mean is that there are clear uh, uh, influences to Dune in the Star Wars movies. I Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's a secret. I I mean, I think George Lucas uh, was inspired by uh, and, you know, in the writing and then also in the filmmaking of Star Wars uh, by Dune, 1965, the novel Dune. Um, And then so it's cool to see, you know, to think about how, influential the filmmaking of star wars is i mean we know the story and the influence of the story but i think one of the things you know over time and 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 with you know the um oh what's the word i'm looking for like the dissolving of quality Mm -hmm. uh over time of star wars we kind of forget Mm -hmm. like how important that filmmaking is and so to kind of see uh denny villeneuve who i've argued is is one of if not my favorite director working right now Mm -hmm. um clearly influenced by the filmmaking and 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 style of world building that george lucas was doing in the original star wars trilogy which in turn was influenced by this novel so you know this movie dune uh, 2021's dune part one uh (laughs) is clearly the source material is the novel but i but i also argue that star wars is a bit of a source material um it's just kind of like the dna flows throughout and i think the most impressive thing uh, about Dune is that world building. So I've never read Dune. I, I did not go in with any knowledge about it. Um, I knew that L- Lucas was influenced by it. And so I was looking to see um, h- how that would present itself in a movie that's now, you know, 40 something years since Star Wars came out. Um, it was super well done the performances mm-hmm. were fantastic i love oscar isaac and everything he does uh you know i think timothy chalamet is a bit of a meme uh because he's kind of everywhere but i i think it's deserved i mean i, I think the, the kid is fantastic um and it, it, you know if i could complain about it, it 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 just ends pretty abruptly and and there's a part two coming uh but i i really loved what it had to offer i liked the half of movie that it is uh, and yeah. so it's it's number seven for me, Dune. Yeah, sweet. I I love that comparison to Star Wars and everything because like I was thinking about that, like just how cool it is, like the way that the transports look like the. I'm probably getting this wrong from Star Wars, but like the um, uh, the Sand Peoples, the Sand Crawlers, Sand yeah. Crawlers, yeah, yeah. Like just like I was like, whoa, this is this is interesting. Also, the fact that it's a desert planet, um, right, right, <laughs> yeah. Um, just re- really cool. I really, yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Tiny, your number seven. My number seven is the movie Mass. Nice. Yeah, written and directed by uh, Fran Kranz. Um, his directorial debut, if I'm yes. correct. Yeah. Which Fran is... Kranz of Dark Tower fame. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this movie kind of came out of nowhere. I was, it wasn't really on my radar at all. And Matt recommended it and just based on the, the uh, you know, description and stuff like that, and some of the cast, I was just fully on board. Um, I, I I'm always very 
intrigued when a movie uses unique a unique format of some kind. Um, I, I think that always makes a movie stand out to me. And this movie definitely has one because 90% of the movie takes place in one room with four characters and all they're doing is talking. Yeah. There's no flashbacks. There's no, um, uh, there, there's no flash. There's no, uh, there, there's no pomp and circumstance. It's all very raw. Um, it's, it is a, uh, very straightforward format. Um, and, and it, it relies so strongly on, on, uh, performance and it relies on script and writing and it relies on camera work. Mm-hmm. And those are some of my favorite aspects to discover in a movie and, and, and focus on and appreciate in a movie. And, uh, this, this mass was just off the charts on, on all those, all those, uh, all those categories. Um, Jason Isaac is one of my like favorite character actors. He's mm-hmm. so underappreciated in so many ways. Um, uh, but I think my favorite performance was actually uh reed bernie oh nice um and 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 i think because he's his character was the most interesting to me because i feel like the other three characters are still kind of learning how to live with this tragedy Mm -hmm. and this horrible horrible awful event uh in their lives and they're still processing it and i feel like his character was so integral because he has already processed. He has gone through every facet of this event. He has gone through every emotion and he has come to a place of completion where he has learned to live with what has happened. And he is a, I don't know about healthy, but an existing person Mm -hmm. who every emotion that these people are still going through, he's already gone through it. And that's why I think he's one of the most interesting characters. And I was so fascinated to see how he reacted to all this stuff that's thrown at him in in this movie. It's, it's really incredible. Um, I think, I think he's an interesting focal point for the movie and that's, he's just who I latched onto, but every performance is just, out Oscar worthy, so mm-hmm. damn good, um, and it's it's just such a unique format for a movie, uh, such a unique idea, um, and it's also about a political subject, but is not a political movie mm-hmm. like at all, which which really kind of blew me away. Yeah. Um, it's it's just such a such a brilliant and well crafted, well acted movie. I was really blown away by it. Um, I think everybody should see it too. I think it's mm-hmm. one of those movies everyone should see because it's. Yeah, the pinnacle of drama, in my opinion. So, so well done. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about that later. Mike, did you get a chance to see Mass? No, I haven't seen that one either. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll t- I'll talk about that later. Cool. Um, my number seven is again a movie that um isn't widely available. It premiered at Heartland um film festival this year but it's called ninja baby it's a norwegian comedy drama about a young woman who um uh who who finds out that she is pregnant and then finds out that she's very pregnant um and that she didn't know it um and now it's too late for her to terminate the pregnancy she doesn't want the pregnancy she or she doesn't want the baby so she has to contend with finding like a, a finding uh telling the telling the father and then um and then finding a way to you know adopt out this baby and everything and like having this just thing uh thrust on her 
that in a few months she's going to have a baby and she didn't know that. Um, I think it's really, really clever, really just quirky in a Diablo Cody kind of way, but has this sentimental side to it in this heart that it's aware of the seriousness of the drama that it's that it's playing out and there's this there's this like shift in the movie where we have like this quirkiness that is just it's it's like playing not really heightened comedy but it's playing this comedic style where like she is she's talking to a uh, like a martial arts instructor that she had a one night stand with and it's very awkward cuz he's closing down the the dojo and everything and she just came out of the bathroom and she had just taken like it, like it, she either took a massive shit or she was <laughs> constipated so she's worried about that while she's talking to this man and then and then like the camera shifts to uh seeing the inside the bathroom and it's just like her memory of them having sex and it's like it's just the juxtaposition of their awkward conversation and the memory shown to us in the bathroom is just really great and then there's another element of it that is just really charming but also gives it its heart and it's and it's and it's um sentimentality is that she is an aspiring uh comic artist and she write, she draws like a little animated figure of of the baby and i love that it's called ninja baby because she says like you're a ninja because i didn't know you were in there and you're you're a baby you're a ninja baby <laughs> um and so this like <laughs> yeah and so this like animated like little ninja that she draws is like animated in the movie and speaks to her and it's like it's one of those things where it's like her you know imagination of it and everything obviously but it's it just gives so much so much more context to what she's feeling and what she feels she is due to uh like the duty she has to this fetus that's growing inside her and it's just it's really complex and really interesting but also very charming and funny in parts and like the ending is is beautiful it's it doesn't go the way that a conventional like i would say that if this movie gained traction and everything i don't know if it's going to get distribution anywhere or anything but if it does and then like someone like one of one of uh you know the studios here in the states buys the rights to remake it they would not make the same ending because the ending that we get is a much more down to earth and less hollywood movie ending it's it's a more it's a, it's a it's a very very nice end to several character arcs that I just I found really really charming I, I was really taken with it so anyway that's my number seven it's Ninja Baby um, hopefully hopefully it's available at some point in the future um, but yeah but it was really good sweet yeah Whew. all right Mikey number six yeah my number six so at this point not not that the top. F- uh, you know, the other, the previous four weren't good, but these, uh, these six are, are inarguable. The, these are, mm-hmm. uh, like shameless, um, you know, I, I will fight for these. These are, I think are some of the best, <laughs> uh, uh, experiences for me over the years. So Ridley Scott, uh, directed two of the most interesting movie experiences I had this year. One of them was the incredibly forgettable House of Gucci, and I remember it because I got in a car accident. Uh, and the other one is uh, the incredibly memorable The Last Duel, yes. which I think this year is 
is, you know, I hate to throw around the term underrated or overrated. I think generally things are rated the way they're supposed to be, but <laughs> I am confused how this movie was overlooked uh, the way that it was. I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the buzz around this movie should have been way higher. Um, you know, I think Ridley Scott around the release of this movie kind of uh, in interviews like, jokingly and then sometimes not so jokingly uh had comments about why people didn't go see this movie but uh really that's irrelevant what is true is that this movie is fantastic um and it does kind of a filmmaking trope that we're familiar with the idea of uh the same story told from multiple perspectives but what this movie does with that is unique and that's uh offering the theme of truth uh told over three different perspectives so mm-hmm. uh the idea is that one character uh rapes the wife of another character uh and then they are, they essentially duel have a duel to determine uh the truth which is ridiculous in the first place it's this it's this barbaric ritual uh and court system and um you know it uh, obviously has it shines a light on the me too movement and how things haven't changed all that much and how you know when when a thing like that happens um when there are accusations the story becomes about you know, the men avenging what they've done or mm-hmm. having to make amends rather than listening to the true stories of what these women are saying. Um, I don't know that, uh, you know, France needs like a magnifying glass, <laughs> you know, medieval <laughs> times. We, we need to take a magnifying glass to that to kind of uncover some of the atrocities that happen. Um, but the way that it modernizes a, a perspective that was, like I said, truly barbaric uh, hundreds of years ago. Uh, it's kind of a shame that things haven't changed all that much. So yeah. um, the perf- performances, like I said, are, are, uh, unassailable. I, I, I think, I hope that at least Jodie Comer is going to get uh, some Oscar attention for this. Ben Affleck is fantastic. When Ben Affleck does that, like knowing smile smirk kind of mm-hmm. laugh thing that he does, like, you know, you're in a good movie and he does it in this movie twice. <laughs> um, Matt Damon is fantastic. He, in fact, uh, he is the story uh, the perspective of the story that you see first of the three. Um, and it's told, you know, like he's this misunderstood hero of the story. And it's not until, gosh, 45 minutes or so into the yeah. story that you understand that the 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 events, the plot is being told again from a different perspective. And mm-hmm. somebody else thinks that Matt Damon, who is the hero of his own story, it, it might actually just be a buffoon <laughs> right and then you get the 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 woman's perspective the wife's perspective uh and it's it's shades of both of the other two versions of the story that you got you you see that in some aspects matt damon still is a buffoon and he's also kind of a monster of a husband and and in some ways he is fighting for the honor of his wife. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there is some valuable, to, some value to that. Um, but Adam Driver's performance in, in particularly his 
version of the story, the middle sequence of the movie, and then the truth, or at least what I take to be the true version of the story, Mm -hmm. uh, is the third one. Um, His, the depiction of the rape scene and, and the events that take place and his version of it is haunting to watch in the first place. Yeah. Like even, even his, Oh, this isn't really my fault. I was tempted by her. She kind of wanted it. Version was disgusting mm-hmm. and deplorable and, you know, worthy of, of condemnation or, or, you know, whatever uh, judgment he needs to face. Like his version of it is disgusting. And then you see her version, the victim's version, which, which is just more heinous uh, and disgusting. And so to kind of offer those two perspectives and say that these are different perspectives, but we go, well, wait, they're both disgusting and vile Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that, that this man didn't even think that his version of a disgusting act is all that disgusting. Um, so I just, that eye on telling the truth uh, is a really unique perspective. It's something I've never seen before done in an interesting way, uh, a, a plot that is easy to follow and, and fun to watch the final battle. So, so I will say it's in the title. I don't think that that's a spoiler. There right. is a duel. It, it is, incredibly tense mm-hmm. incredibly tense and super entertaining to watch um and then and then the performances all along the way are, are great i i would argue that um anybody who missed this movie should see it i i think this movie should have been a little more popular than it was yeah man i i mean you know it's it's kind of um fashionable for us to say this but if we were if we were doing a top 11 um <laughs> it, it would probably be my number 11 sure. um and to to riff on your on your point about the 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 duel and everything the uh i mean ridley scott he's he's up there and he has not skipped a beat from the days of gladiator or oh, kingdom sure. of heaven mm-hmm. just be, like it like tense and brutal just amazing yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I, I just think you know the ending of Last Duel is so. It's so rare that you get a movie where, um, you can't predict the ending. You can't yeah. predict who is when. Uh, maybe I'm gonna commit a, a movie review foul here, mm-hmm. but I'm just gonna say every superhero movie we saw this year, the good guys win. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there. There's just no, there's not really that sense of tension. Like, how are they going to get out of this? Is this going to, but like, I really didn't know who was going to win the duel. I think that that, that the tension was so thick there. Hmm. Yeah. It makes me really want to see it. I I missed it. Yeah. It's funny. I really think you would like it. Oh, Oh, I know. I know. uh, Hearing your, your movie tastes over the years. I think you would like the last duel quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I also, I think, um, you, you talked about the how it was underappreciated or, uh, you know, it, a lot of people missed it. Um, I think it was really mismarketed. Yeah. Not, not just undermarketed, but mismarketed. I think it was yeah. it, a, a lot of the tone, the, the themes and stuff you just mentioned talking about it did not come across in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it was great. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so Tiny, your number six. My number six is a little movie called Small Engine Repair. Nice. I, again, I, I know not a lot of people saw this movie. Right. Uh, it's based on a play 
um, maybe Broadway play. I'm not, I'm not really sure if it was on Broadway. Um, it's written and directed by a gentleman named John Polano. Um, I have not seen – he was in an episode of like uh, How I Met Your Mother years ago. That's like the only thing I've seen him in and I didn't even remember him. So, uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with him at all. Um, but this movie is um, really incredible. I, I was really – pleased with it it's it's incredibly thrilling um and it's uh heartfelt in so many ways uh relatable in some ways um but recently i've been seeing a lot of stories and uh watching a lot of stuff that involves the um kind of a you know 21st century term uh toxic masculinity um, it, this movie kind of explores that a little bit, and and it's it's something that I'm becoming more and more familiar with, and it's something I've been familiar with. I just didn't necessarily have a name for it. Um, but it's something that I just find so off putting. Um, toxic masculinity, you know, ma- macho bullshit is a term that I would have used in the past that uh-huh. I think is a synonym for uh for toxic masculinity. Um, I I, ju- I just think it's ridiculous, and I think it's incredibly fake, and it annoys the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it's displayed in this movie is really fascinating. And, and it's, it's not overt. It's not, um, it's kind of a, uh, in the subtext. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's at the heart, the movie is just a really cool story and a, and a really, it's, it's touching in a lot of ways. It's disturbing in a lot of ways. Um, the acting is off the charts. Uh, John Polano blew me away. I, it got, it, this is pretty much the first time I've ever seen him. It's, it's almost a debut for the guy mm-hmm. on the big screen and he was just phenomenal. Um, has mm-hmm. an incredible physical presence. He's a very, intimidating guy but he's also like the father of a daughter he's a girl dad Mm -hmm. and he's so like tender and kind to his daughter and the next scene he'll be beating the living shit out of somebody and just a very physically imposing guy he's he's he really walked a fine thread in his performance and i really appreciated it um it also kind of deals with the theme of how we interact on social media i think that's Mm -hmm. a pretty poignant part of the movie as well um plays a big part in the in the um in the plot and everything. Um, it's just a really cool movie, a well-crafted story. Um, there's not much I can, I, it's almost a spoiler to tell you what the plot is, I guess. I, I don't really want to say much about it other than it's uh, it's not a very long movie either. I think people should just go see it. I think it was on, I think it's available on Amazon prime. I think it's free on there. That's how I, I watched it. The rent. Is it to rent? Yeah. I can't, I couldn't remember. I saw it a little while ago, but um it's worth the rent. I, I thought it was just incredible on so many levels. Um, really good cast too. Uh, the John Polano was the, he's kind of the main guy, but then, uh, John Bernthal is in it. And he was also in the play on Broadway. And then nice. Shay Wiggum, uh, is also uh, in it from, uh, that guy. Boardwalk Empire. He's really, he's really good. There's also like a surprising amount of comedy for such a dramatic movie. Um, nice. uh, it's, it's, it's just such a, such a good movie with really good characters. I, I highly recommend it. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I missed that one. Um, I'll have to circle back and check it out. It is good. Mm-hmm. Nice. Me too. Uh, so my number six is P.T. Anderson's Licorice Pizza. Nice. Uh, which was a unique movie um, for me because it is it is very much in that vein of like a, a general like hangout movie where – 
the the movie is almost basically ba- pretty much all composed of just sequences and vignettes and it <laughs> the kind of thread that ties it all together is the central relationship between that that is kind of a little icky um a 15 year old boy and this mid-20s woman um but the way that pt anderson kind of skirts that line of 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 uh, inappropriateness um makes it a little bit more palatable and even more charming because it creates this um this interesting tether that they have for each other where they are romantically interested in each other but there's that age gap and everything and she is she's very much like keeping him at a distance but finds herself drawn to him and the romantic connection between them is not the focal point it's this kind of entrepreneurial well entrepreneurial um sure um (laughs) uh, (laughs) entrepreneurial there you go um connection between the two of them that like he is this he's this like hotshot child actor um and she is kind of this listless mid-20s you know woman and they go into business together on a bunch of different ventures and stuff because he has a lot of money from his acting and everything they like they run afoul of like people that are not uh that are that are intimidating and everything and like it goes from like the ebb and flow of just really really high like like high up um farce comedy like there is this whole section with um uh i think it's tom waits and oh my god what's his name um oh god uh uh sean penn um that is just so weird and so like Tom Waits is so gross and it's like it's <laughs> it's like they play like these older like like kind of coked out um uh, uh Hollywood people and it's just it's I don't know it's just it's really really funny and really charming uh all the same and the way that um, the movie plays out and the drama unfolds and the f- comedy unfolds is just really good. And I, like, I didn't get a chance or I never got around to seeing Phantom Thread, which was P.T. Anderson's previous movie with, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and people, um, very <laughs> highly respected and everything. Um, but I never saw it, but I did see Inherent Vice and I just did not like that movie at all. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like this movie is somewhat similar in the way that it's kind of a collection of vignettes just about uh it's similar to inherent vice in that respect but it it just worked for me i just wanted to live in this world it's set in 70s san fernando valley and it just looks just stunning like gorgeous like attention to detail with creating that time uh that time or that era on film um and the performances are great the lead um actor the guy who plays gary is cooper hoffman who is uh, philip seymour hoffman's son i believe this is his first yeah his 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 uh first role and then uh playing alana is alana haim who is a musician um and her whole family's like in the movie too um and just and it has an amazing like uh 
supporting slash uh, extended cameo from Bradley Cooper, who is just swinging for the fences. It, it's just so it's so good. Nice. Um. So yeah, Licorice Pizza. That's my number six. I just I really really had fun with this, and I I can't wait to see it again. Nice. Um, yeah, that's Licorice Pizza. I'm really I'm really bummed I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. high recommend. High recommend. Nice. Um. Yeah, Mike, have you had a chance to see Licorice Pizza? No, that's okay. that's well, yes, I have had a chance, and okay. I didn't want to see it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I, yeah, I don't. I don't. Um, I don't know. We kind of on this podcast don't really spend a whole lot of energy on things we don't like. But yeah. I don't. I I dislike PT Anderson. I okay. I, I, I've had um. Negative on the negative end of neutral experiences <laughs> with PT <laughs> yeah. Anderson movies. Uh, I like there will be, I love there will be blood. But yeah. uh, other than that, I, I would say I've had negative experiences. I don't like punch drunk love. I don't oh, like yeah. boogie nights. Mm-hmm. I, I really disliked the master. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then inherent vice just didn't look like my kind of movie. So in fact, we were thinking of movies to see last week and uh, <clears throat> my friend said, well, what about licorice pizza? And Kind of like an a-hole. I don't, I don't know why I blurted it out so quickly. I was like, oh, I don't want to see that. I hate P.T. Anderson. <laughs> I regretted it. Like, I regretted the, the like, the snap negativity. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, no no offense. I know, oh, I know, yeah. I know uh, Tiny, especially, you're a big fan mm-hmm. uh, of his work. But just, I just, it's not for me. It just doesn't work for me. You know, knowing That's what fair. I know about you, I don't think I would have ever recommended a pt anderson movie for you mike because i think i mean I, it, just, it makes sense for you because i know what kind of movie fan you are and i would have never mm-hmm. thought that you would have been a pt anderson fan so that mm-hmm. that tracks yeah so yeah well i, think I do it's think great there will be blood is a masterpiece oh absolutely well, that's great that's, my, that's my favorite of his so that's oh, good. yeah that is a masterpiece that that <laughs> one's undeniable Sweet. um yeah so there um, is that i will give that yeah cool all right and now we are coming to the top five and Mike, um, like you said, these these are the tops. These these are tops. These are tops of the tops. These are yes. the big ones. So yeah. why don't you go ahead and hit us with your number five? Well, I might have spoken too soon with my number six about like my my unassailable oh, yeah. choices. <laughs> uh, I, I I went a little grand, but uh, essentially what I mean is I feel passionately passionately mm-hmm. about these top six. Like, and it's the type of thing I predict in a couple of years that that top six will still be in my top ten. Whereas if I watch Tick Tick Boom again, it might mm-hmm. end up in my top ten. Nighthouse might that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the, but these are like these are uh, glued onto the poster board of my top uh, twenty one. That said, I also don't claim objectivity uh, with this list, so uh, this might be an unpopular choice, and I don't care because uh, if you know me <laughs> at all, you know that I loved Halloween Kills. Mm-hmm. I loved Halloween Kills, and and um. Oh gosh, Matt and I spent a lot of time talking about Halloween Kills. Did we do an episode on Halloween Kills? I honestly don't remember. I don't think we did. I think we planned <laughs> to and 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 just uh timing fell through, but um yeah. If we didn't record an episode, Matt and I certainly spent an episode's worth of time talking about the discourse surrounding oh, uh, Halloween yeah. Kills and the people like struggling 
with like whether they should rank it worse than Halloween Resurrection, which is just yeah. unfathomable to mm. me. Yeah. Um, because, and here I go, hey, now I'll talk about what I liked about it. Uh, <laughs> because I thought that this was one of the most entertaining slasher movies in a long time. It was mm-hmm. Michael Myers in uh, in one of the coolest looking costumes he's ever had they get the look right they get the feeling right they get the halloweenness of it right they revisited the 1978 version and like yeah. shot additional material uh to do that and then he's just killing people in brutal and scary ways um, you know, I think the 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 message of the mob mentality was a little strange. I wasn't exactly sure who we were writing were rooting for. Is mm-hmm. the mob the January sixth folk? And if they're coming in, is is Michael the good guy? But I, I don't want to root for Michael because he's the murderer. I think yeah. I think um, you know, it's just about bad people and mm-hmm. and basically when someone as evil um as michael myers as the shape does this to a certain group of people they kind of act outside of rational thought my favorite aspect of halloween kills uh is that it both confirmed my theory about the 2018 version mm-hmm and then elevated it like doubled down on the idea that Lori is a crazy person, mm-hmm. right? She is the, the, the shape that's haunting Haddonfield, right? She is standing off in the distance. You know, when Allison in 2018 is sitting in her classroom and looks out, it evokes that scene yeah. in the original 1978 Halloween where Lori looks out and Michael is standing outside, but Allison, her granddaughter looks outside and it's another shape. Mm-hmm. is Lori. And so she is the crazy person in this town ranting and raving who's been driven mad. This guy is coming back and he's coming to get me. And this movie Halloween kills is a resounding. Nope. Mm-hmm. He's just going home. It's the <laughs> night he came home and he just wants to continue to go home and, and nothing, uh, nothing will get in his way of doing that. Listen, I am fully aware of the flaws of this movie. Mm-hmm. I get it. I saw them too. And I hear you and I see you on Twitter. Why would you bring an iron to kill a mass murderer? Michael Myers? <laughs> Why didn't anybody shoot him in the head? Why? Like, do we hate Tommy Doyle? Like the, some of the dialogue, especially in the bar is a little, a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Is it, is the movie a little too reliant on member berries? Is there not enough Lori? <laughs> yes, of course. I hear all that stuff, but as a fan of Halloween, as a fan of a franchise, that's not that good. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to freely admit as much as, as much as a, of a classic as the original Halloween is untouchable, unassailable, greatest horror movie of all time. This, the sequels are to varying degrees of garbage. Mm. Uh, and this is a well-filmed, well-crafted, well-intentioned slasher movie featuring some of my char- favorite characters in all of cinema. I can't imagine how people didn't have fun with it. And I had a blast. There was no doubt going in that this would end up on my top 10. And I'm proud to say that it was in my top five in terms of, 
an interesting film experience, a movie experience, and also a really, really fun time. It's mm-hmm. easily, it's, it's, I will argue with you that it is a number five pick, at least if you're a Halloween fan. Why isn't it? Well, wow. Well said. It's not on my list or honorable mentions, but I think it would be like number 15 or 16 mm. or something. Sure. Um, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. A couple of things real quick. Um, one, I do got to say it's no season of the witch. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> nor is it a Wes Craven's new nightmare. That brilliant uh, thing. <laughs> you know, Haddonfield really is a character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and pizza really like, rescued I want me. it to be such a theme throughout yes. this next year of podcast <laughs> that I want to get to a point where at the end of the year, like I'm saying, listen, I don't want to over exaggerate the meaning of this. I know it's a cliche, but I really do think Miles Morales is a character in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. Um, but it was interesting. I was, I was, uh, talking to Fekus about it in, in an episode and he had mentioned how, uh, on the nose, the mob mentality was and everything in, in regards to its criticism, I guess, of January 6th, but the movie was completed in not just 20, written, 20, but filmed, filmed and completed in 2020. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the, I just found that interesting and everything. And I love, I love the, uh, kind of Twitter verse, kind of like collectively asking, where was Tommy Doyle on January 6th? Yeah. <laughs> I just love that so yeah. much. Yeah, well, I think we know where he was. Yeah. I also think, you know, um, I love Jamie Lee Curtis so mm-hmm. much, a, a massive crush on Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some of her press uh, presence uh, with especially Halloween Kills has been a little misguided. I think, mm. I, I might argue that like the, the January 6th, connection or, or or at least the um the the thread that they've tied this movie to january 6th is a little misguided i think mm-hmm. then we're like we're asked to root for bad people or well, to not root for people that maybe we should be because we kind of want tommy to win and and i wonder how this yeah. movie would have been received if it were released uh, last year mm-hmm. uh, and its original release date yeah uh, and and we could kind of um you know i'm all for looking at movies through certain lenses but the fact of the matter is january 6th happened after this movie was finished and mm-hmm. so for them to like use that lens especially in the promotion yeah uh, and press of this movie is a little disingenuous and ultimately i think misguiding and troublesome mm-hmm. for the movie that's really interesting, and uh, I think we'll we should have a longer conversation at some point. I I do want us to do a commentary track for Halloween Kills the Extended Edition later this for year. For sure, yeah. Um, because I do have a commentary I, I, track I, with uh, I, yep. Halloween Kills on there. I pre-ordered it. Nice. Well, nice. not pre. I mean, I ordered it. It's, well, yeah, it's yeah. arriving tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Nice. I'm um, excited. Yeah. Tiny. Ha- any thoughts? Yeah, I I hate to say it, but I it was like. Halloween Kills was like one of my biggest disappointments of the year. Um, oh, and yeah, I flat out didn't like it. Um, I hate to disagree with you, Mike, but it's... Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, so the, the orig- my biggest issue with it was actually not the whole, the mob stuff and, and all the, you know, semantic things. Um, my biggest issue, I think the, the 2018 Halloween is one of the best in the franchise. I adored it. And I think the 
biggest strength of the franchise is the ability to harness and build and maintain tone, horror tone and, and build, build up tone. That's the, the, the original movie is one of the, tonally one of the best movies ever made. And uh-huh. 2018 Halloween got damn close to that again. Mm-hmm. And Halloween kills it was a tonal disaster. It was an absolute mess when it comes to tone. And I, I just cannot forgive it for that. It, it felt so off to me. Um, and, and I just, it, it completely missed the mark in that regard for me. And that's one of my favorite things about the franchise. And it just was almost non-existent in this movie. And that's, that's what I couldn't get behind. Let me offer rebuttal. Okay. And consider that. And, and <laughs> like, I don't think that I disagree with you. I, I think, I don't know that I'd go as far as calling it a mess because I did enjoy it. Uh, but I don't think that it matches the tone of the other movies. I, I agree with that. And I'll give you that. Okay. And I think early on it, it claims that, I mean, a, I think it's a little funnier than some of the other movies intentionally. So, yeah. uh, B, you know, Michael Myers is a superhero with, you know, the, the cement axe, the cement, saw that you know just sawing through people that that's a different tone entirely mm-hmm. the the reason i'm i'm gonna like accept uh like like take your commentary which i agree with but then apply it is what i think this movie is doing and it's doing well so far is it's asking what does halloween look like after laurie strode right mm-hmm. it, it, you know the, the other movies did not really do a good job it they they either are terrible after laurie laurie strode or refuse to separate themselves from laurie strode and this one is saying okay i think we're putting an end to the laurie strode situation if 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 laurie strode is not the center of michael's attention what happens to the town what does michael do uh, and so that's why i think uh, uh david gordon green is saying i think we need to change the tone a little bit i don't think it's the same movie as halloween 18 anymore i don't think it's the same tone uh and and so maybe i'm just making excuses for a movie that i liked and you didn't like which is a fair <laughs> which is fair um but i, I i'll kind of buy it as like they're making a step away with respect to laurie stode laurie strode a step away from laurie strode okay that's fair I, that's actually i hadn't considered that that's a uh... That's a good point. Um, I also think it kind of answers the question. There's always these fans of the franchise have these hypotheticals like, why don't they just get a posse together and go fight this dude and shoot him? <laughs> mm-hmm. and sh-? You know, this answers that question and it, and it and it presents it in a way that it's not it, it's not as satisfying as people think it would be. You know, because people are mob. stupid. Right. 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 <laughs> people think that's what they want, but they really don't want that. That doesn't make it a good movie. Yeah. You know, when yeah. the, a, a, a posse going after Michael and shooting him down and murdering him is not a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it answers that question. So I do respect it for that. That's one thing I liked about it. So, yeah, it, it was a, a very polarizing movie for sure. For yeah. sure. Polarizing yeah. to say the least. Yeah. 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 I liked it. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tiny, your number five? Yes. Uh, my number five is The Power of the Dog. Interesting. Uh, on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, that's how I watched it anyways. Um, so the first act of this movie, I was so not on board <laughs> with this movie. I, w- I watched it in two sittings. I watched it like the first act and then the, the rest of it in a, a different time. Um, it was, 
man, the first act is just very disjointed and it, it, I'm not sure where they were going, but then in the, the second act and the rest of the movie really just, it finds its stride. Um, a lot of people describe it as a slow burn, which is accurate as hell. Um, I agree with that, but, um, it also, um, taps into the, concept of toxic masculinity that i was talking about earlier and it's it's a theme that's presented itself in a lot of art that i've been watching lately um and and this is a very satisfactory version of it uh because again the 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 most toxic character is very Mm off-putting uh it's an incredible performance from benedict cumberbatch i adore that man he's one of my favorite actors right now and this is one of his best performances for sure um uh, and, and the character is off-putting and, and <laughs> terrible and, and uh, you know, annoying. Um, so many different adjectives. Um, but the way he, the way that that character folds into the ultimate plot of, of the movie is really fascinating. And I love the direction it goes. Um, I love kind of some of the sort of role reversal, reversals of some of the characters. Um, the character arcs are just really, really fascinating. Um, it's incredibly well written from a, um, structure and a dialogue standpoint. I thought, I thought it was very, very creative, um, and, and just so well done. And, um, I, I was really surprised at how much I ended up liking it because I think it's, you know, initially I almost like didn't come back to it the next day because i was just so off put by the first act i was like what is happening (laughs) um it's 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 that it's that goofy but man it just really finds its stride and turns into an incredible commentary on uh on you know perceptions and and uh and and attitudes and masculinity and (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh gender roles uh any kind of role really um marriage family all kinds of different themes Dinner rolls. <laughs> nice. Pizza rolls. Sweet. Pizza rolls. <laughs> Yum. Um, but no, it's it's a really unique and brilliant movie. Uh, I was kind of blown away by it, and I really want to watch it again. Kind of, I, th- I think it's one of those movies that will be even better the second time around, because I kind of know what to look for in the first act now, and, and now, now that I kind of know what happens. But uh, I highly recommend the movie. It's It's really brilliant. Nice. I wasn't too crazy about it myself, but I mm. will say one of Benedict Cumberbatch's best performances. Just hard stop. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and Mike, you haven't gotten a chance to see? No, that's that's pretty high up yeah. on my uh, movies I missed list. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. Cool. Cool. Well, <laughs> my number five is The Green Knight. And I've got to say, just indulge me for just a second mike when you were talking about it um how uh how you don't like fantasy and everything and long drawn out journeys and everything um the entire time i was thinking about how before we started recording you told us that you started reading the gunslinger (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah right exactly yeah but there are like elements of the green knight that remind me just so much of the dark tower. It is seriously a, just it's, it's a visual feast, but um, <laughs> it's this just mesmerizing, like fantasy, uh, just weird thing. And like, I did not know, I don't know the story of Garwin. Um, yeah. Gowan. And the Gowan. Green, yeah. Yeah. Um, did not know that. So when the Green Knight 
appears, I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> like, like <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know the plot or anything. Um, and that was, that was probably another special theater viewing. Cause I did not see it in theaters when it was first run, but uh, around Christmas time, they showed it in theaters again. And I was like, I'm going to see it. And just so happy to have seen it in a theater because it is visually just uh, stunning. Like the, it's, kind of similar in a weird way kind of similar to licorice pizza it's kind of a collection of vignettes or steps of his journey and each Mm -hmm. one is just immaculately and and like just amazingly represented like that sequence where he sees like the giants was breathtaking to me like yes absolutely breathtaking definitely yeah and the the themes that it plays with with like like you said mike like uh, heroism and kind of honor and duty and like following through on things um it's it's just it's such an interesting interesting story and dev patel does uh, like a lot of like silent acting like you said but um i think really this movie is very much a showcase for david lowry and uh in the production and the cinematography of it as well um it's just it's it's a stunning movie i can't wait to see it again um but yeah but that's a green knight that's my number five uh really good stuff nice yeah uh mike do you want to bring us into your top four, to, to bring us into our top four? Into our top four, yeah. Yes. So my number four to begin is James Wan's Malignant, and I have been a, a James Wan fanatic since Saw. I think he the the uh, he doesn't just have his finger on the pulse of horror; he is the heartbeat of it. Every couple of years, he just comes up with such new ways to innovate and reinvigorate with the obvious and telling and prideful look back at the history of horror. So, you know, he gave us Saw, which is about tension and, you know, it's a detective story with the gore. And then he came around again and gave us Insidious, which is, you know, demonic and and family. And then you get The Conjuring and he's like, I can still do this. I'm going to show you (laughs) a a period piece. I'm going to go back to the 70s. I'm going to show you, uh, you know, I'm going to influence an entire genre for the next decade in slow build tension and horror, (laughs) not outright scares, but I'm going to do it again. And they're like, okay, well, what will John uh, James Wan do next? And he said, hold on a second. I'm going to go do a fast and furious movie. Hold on a second. (laughs) I'm going to go do Aquaman. And they're like, James Wan, what are you up to, man? We, we need some horror. And he said, have you guys ever heard of Jallo? an Italian giallo because I'm going to make one and I'm going to reintroduce it to America in a way that Brian De Palma wishes he could have done in the eighties. <laughs> Malignant is so much fun. It, it, it was, it was another one. I didn't want to mention it in my favorite movie experiences, but it was just a movie where we were laughing with glee because, uh, you know, early on there's a, there's like, like some questionable acting. And for a second, my friend Jake and I were like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this a bad movie? There was something about, you know, the <laughs> opening credits that were incredibly 90s thriller inspired where yes. I was like, oh, this is cheesy. And I don't know if I'm into it yet. Hmm. And But but James Wan knows he's leaning in. He's already leaning into it. 
And by the time they show the house and there's fog rolling in and there's this just these uh, spots of red, which are signatures of the giallo uh, style of horror. Hmm. I know I, I'm like, oh, I get it. James Wan gets it. Things are red. The killer has black gloves. It's a mystery. He he is reintroducing a genre that I guarantee you will will be uh, uh, maybe not so much in the way that you know, like um, you know, social conscious horror, the way that Jordan Peele is doing it. Like mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I think Nope is going to be super popular this year, but yeah. I think we're going to get. A uh, weird, trippy, uh, uh, Italian-inspired, '90s-inspired slasher, slasher mind screws like <laughs> *Malignant* gave us. Um, performances that seem like they're terrible, but I'm just going to give the credit to James Wan and say that he knows it's supposed to be over the top. It's a soap opera with a knife. Yes. Um, and then you get to the end, which just is bonkers and there's there's the prison sequence uh and when you find out the killer and the villain it it is just balls to the wall insane and and you just at that point like if you aren't trusting james wan if you aren't trusting the experience of the movie that you're watching i don't think that you'll like it like i imagine my students just like it was the this is the dumbest thing i've ever seen Mm -hmm. but if you're into it and you know a little bit of the history of horror and you know a little bit of james wan and you understand that he has seen all the movies and he wants you to have seen all the movies and he's going to show you an experience a different version of a thing that you might have never seen before in his way in the james wan way it's like you're just in good hands and you're along for the ride. You're on the roller coaster and the lap belt is James Wan soft. And he's just saying, watch this. I'm going to show you some stuff. It's going to be wild. I had so much fun watching Malignant. Uh, it, it, there's an alternate universe where it could be in the top three, but I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. satisfied calling it a clear number four. Nice. Sweet. Well freaking said. Um, Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's, it's not on my list. But I, it, it is maybe the one of the most fun movies I I saw this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's funny. Like I would like go and listen to my uh, Spider Man No Way Home review with Fekus because I think in that episode uh, I asked him like, well, you know, what are some of your favorite movies from the year? And then uh, I think I either mentioned Malignant or he did, and he's like, that is like the worst movie I saw all year. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, pe- people like own. what they like and don't like what they don't like. And I and I hate to be so pretentious and douchey t- to say that somebody didn't get it. But I, I think that James Wan either wants you to get it or not. Yeah. Hmm. Right. Like, I, I don't mean to like claim to be above Fekus and his interpretation of the movie. If you right. didn't like it, you didn't like it. That's yeah. totally fine. And I, and I respect that tiny. I respect that you didn't like Halloween kills, but, but I think, I don't think James Wan cares if Fekus didn't like it. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I totally right. get what you mean. Right. With respect to Fekus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he made the movie for you and guys like you, Mike. Exactly. Not, not Fekus. Yeah, totally. Right. I, I get what you're exactly. saying. Yeah. 
I haven't. I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, Interesting. I think it was another movie that was kind of mismarketed because I saw mm-hmm. the trailer a ton of times, but I feel like I didn't know what the hell the movie was about. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, but I you've you've really piqued my interest with your review, so I definitely want to see it. Yeah, I think you'll like it. I think Let's I will watch, too. watch it and watch it. October. Yeah. I'm not familiar with the this subgenre, the Italian. Yeah, the giallo. I'm not, not familiar with that. Yeah, giallo yeah. movies. So, um, they're kind of like the proto slasher movies. Uh, they're kind of like pre slashers. Um, hmm. so uh, a lot of people know. Or maybe don't know. I don't know. Uh, Friday the 13th is kind of a direct ripoff of uh, a movie called Bay of Blood. Um, And so there were director uh, Bay of Blood is directed by Mario Bava. uh, And then there's also Dario Argenta, who directed Suspiria is probably his most popular. That's not really a giallo. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they're like these classic tropes. It's it's kind of like, you know, old detective movies in the 40s and 50s where like you know there's the damsel in distress and comes into the office and like he's wearing the top hat so jala Mm -hmm. movies have similar tropes like there's always a black glove the red is all all, always like super high contrast against black black drops there's Mm -hmm. always a mystery like a, a, a man dressed in black there's always a knife uh and he's always killing killing beautiful women and so American directors saw those movies and started making uh, slasher movies, right? So, like, you know, we we go back and say Psycho is one of the original slashers, and mm-hmm. then like Halloween is the godfather of like the slasher craze. But they're really all kind of influenced by Mario Bava and Dario Argento and these early proto slashers, these Giallo movies. Okay, interesting. interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Then, okay, nice. Uh, Tiny, what is your number four? Yes, uh, you both have already talked about it. It's The Green Knight. Nice. Uh, my number four. Awesome. Um, I'm really glad that you um, you both talked about it first because, um, Mike, I liked how you you mentioned how um, it it's this movie is liked by a lot of people for stuff that you don't necessarily focus on, like the visuals and the cinematography doesn't always jump out to you. You said mm-hmm. that. Um, well. I, I'm glad you said that first because that kind of stuff does jump out to me. I love I'm I, I tend to hyper fixate on visuals a lot of the time and um even a movie that's got some other aspects about it that aren't great, maybe bad writing or not the best acting, if it's got stunning visuals, I can usually find a way to really enjoy the movie. Um and the Green Knight, thankfully, is not just that. It's got so many great things working for it, but I think uh the visuals and the themes are what jumped out to me the most in this movie. Uh, it's really incredible. I, um, I loved the, um, kind of the, the epicness of it. It reminded me a lot of like, I know, I know it's like a night of the round table kind of, um, medieval story in that regard, but, um, it really reminded me of like, uh, the Odyssey, where he he kind of uh-huh. has these uh, vignettes, like my, like Matt said, where it's he's he bumps into this kind of character and has this kind of interaction, and he bumps into like a kind of a ghostly character and kind of the thieves and the the king and his or the, the lord and his his uh, his wife and stuff like that, and he has these unique experiences with all these different characters. It really made me think of the Odyssey, um, and I love it, it. It had a, a very epic feel to it because of those things uh the the epic journey kind of story um i um of course i enjoyed dev patel 
um, a lot, but to me, the standout was Alicia Vikander. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of hers anyways. I love her and everything. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I kind of loved the, the dual role she played. She was really good. Um, and I also like the, the part that you mentioned, Mike, how it has sort of kind of some horror undertones to it. Um, for sure. At, at the very least, there's some disturbing, disturbing parts that I think are definitely horror feeling. Um, and, and I loved, I love some of those parts. There's a, um, a sex scene later kind of towards the end of the second act almost right before the third act with uh, alicia vikander that's like kind of disturbing and it's like one one of the parts that really jumped out to me and i thought it was um just mm-hmm. disturbing is, is the is the word that keeps coming to mind and i really appreciated the way it was crafted and uh, mm-hmm. uh it was well done but um i i'm not really um i'm not familiar at all with sir gawain i had never really heard of him or anything i'm, I'm not intrigued by the Knights of the Round Table and Sword of the Sword in the Stone stories—they don't appeal to me at all. I, I don't think they're bad or anything. It's just never been my cup of tea. But um, the this retelling was really uh, just updated for like a 21st century audience, I guess, is how I would how I would explain it. Um, and so so many great visuals, camera work, um, just a really beautiful color palette of a movie, and uh, I was pretty blown away by it. It's a good one nice yeah very cool yeah i can't wait to see it again nice yeah um all right so now it's to me yes sir Um, my number four is another movie that uh i don't know if a lot of people had a chance to see but it was at heartland and a couple other film festivals it is celine siama's uh petite maman uh french film uh celine siama made um portrait of a lady on fire which uh a couple years ago i adored um this is her next film. It is absolutely just it it it's so unique. It is the story of this young girl who loses her grandmother and it's her and her and her parents going to her grandmother's house to clear out the house. And what happens after that is she plays in the woods and through just this like it's it's I'll go ahead and say it. It like petite maman means small mother. And she meets like in the woods, she meets basically her mother at her age and she strikes up a friendship with her mother. And it's so interesting because it's like a science fiction kind of, um, <laughs> uh, story, but there's like, that is not, it's just, it's just played completely straight. It's, there's no, there's no hangups of like, how is this possible? What is this? But, um, it is just a straightforward thing of this little girl talking to her mother while like the version of her mother when she's her age. And what it does is it presents this just incredible way to the, the there's an incredible way that the movie bridges that generational divide between mother and daughter through the dialogue in that. And it is it is just amazing the way that it plays out there are incredible conversations that these two little girls have with each other um you know as mother and daughter and it's just so interesting to see them communicate with each other while being like the same age it's not like her mother like shrunk down to (laughs) being like an eight-year-old or something but it's just like this mystical kind of thing and that is the that is the 
complete point of the entire narrative. There's not like a flashy, like, oh, how are we going to, like, how is this happening? Or how can we get back? Or how can I get back to there? It's just like, it is the focal point is the grief and the the lack of understanding that these two people in their lives have with each other and how this experience teaches teaches them how to communicate with each other and there's like there are moments like there there are lines that like just send chills down my spine because it is so cathartic and so um it, it it cathartic is the best word i can use to describe it because it is it is these characters realizing like what like like breaking down the defenses and and breaking down the like i said the generational uh divide between them and just talking as people and understanding the intricacies of a of of a of a rough relationship and the grief of losing the grandmother as well it's it's really really amazing it's a very it's like 72 minutes but it packs so much into it and it is just a beautiful beautiful movie um yeah so it's petite maman um which i will be remiss if i didn't say that on patreon and uh anywhere that i say it i have taken to referring to it as petite my man uh so <laughs> uh so it's petite maman loved it my number 4 a fantastic movie sweet yeah uh mike top three yeah so my number three is uh nia DaCosta's candy man nice uh, co-written and produced by jordan peele directed and co-written by nia DaCosta. and i'm a sucker for a legacy sequel and uh i apologize if that's a spoiler i, I don't i think it's in the trailers yeah uh, i think you're good the, that this is a continuation of the story. It's an expanding uh, of the mythology of Candyman, uh, which is a movie I love. It's one of my favorite horror movies. One of the top three horror movies, I think of the nineties uh, behind nice. of course, scream, which is just the mm -hmm. godfather of all nineties horror slashers. Um, but I love Candyman. I love all things Chicago. I love that it's set in Chicago and Cabrini Green. And so it takes a lot of what we know from the original version from the nineties and uh, inverts it. I don't want to, I don't want to say subverts it inverts it um so like you know the opening scene of the original is it's this it's the city of chicago by helicopter downtown and then this movie opens with you're like it's like shot upside down and you're mm -hmm. like looking up at the skyscrapers from the ground up and it's just saying that um you know we're gonna look at this from a different aspect it's it does so it checks off so many things on like what a good legacy sequel should do. It like it reconfigures what Candyman means, who Candyman is. And when I say legacy sequel, there is a legacy of Candyman that this movie kind of uh, reconfigures and resituates our understanding of what that character is, um, <clears throat> which I loved so much. It, it, it offers characters we know 
from before and kind of gives us new understanding of those characters. And then it says, now that the past is the past, we're going to offer you a new look at that character, which this movie does at the end Uh, in the same way that the original Candyman is not just a really good social comment. Well, it's a horror movie with social uh, undertones, but it is about a white woman. This one is about black people and a black man struggling and living in an area that is now gentrified. And how do they feel as uh, black people in a, a formerly underprivileged black community that has now been gentrified and they're, they're kind of reaping the benefits uh, of that. So that social commentary is there and it's important, but it's also really scary. Uh, There are some Mm -hmm. excellent moments of violence. Um, And then it does, like I said, the original movie is a tragedy and this movie is also a tragedy. Uh, And so the legacy of Candyman is like in conversation with each other. So there's a, there's a bit of a moment at the end. I think that they, I think that you would call it like a hero shot, not to say that Candyman is a hero, but like mm-hmm. to show your, um, you know, your main figure of interest in a, in a shot, there's a hero shot that is at once the, the continuation of the legacy of the history of Candyman and also a a, a tragic ending of this particular movie or this particular iteration of Candyman. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of waffled back and forth about which one to put higher uh, malignant or Candyman. And, and I just feel like Candyman is maybe the safer movie to put at number three. Mm. Like, um, you know, that the end of malignant is so bonkers. I don't know that, like I loved it inarguably, but but I don't know that a movie that you have to make some excuses for, like a movie that's not for everybody, uh, if you have to choose between the two, I don't know that it's as good as the movie that I think is for everybody. I, I think Candyman uh, is for a wider audience and has a lot to say to that audience. But um, it's a man. I hate to use the word safer, but it, it makes a little more sense as a number three. I, I really enjoyed it. The score was excellent. Mm-hmm. And I love the, the resituation of the Candyman mythos while also giving you a, a spooky movie. It was a, it was a good, good deaths, good kills. It was gross. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the makeup work toward the end of the movie uh, mm-hmm. was really, really impressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. I really liked Candyman. And did we review it? We did. That was a really good episode. We did. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Nice. Awesome. I didn't see it. I've never seen the original either. I'd like oh, to. Nice. Yeah. Oh, they're good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nice. Recommend. Uh Tiny, your number three. Uh my number three is Dune. Um, nice. Yeah. I uh, saw so this was my most hyped movie of the year. It was my most hyped movie of last year. And it didn't come out last year. Mm-hmm. Um uh <laughs> we talked about it quite a bit earlier uh back in october when it when we uh, got to see it we had a episode mm-hmm. about it so reference that um that episode for my uh, full thoughts on it i won't talk about it too much here but i the the visuals of what frank herbert wrote down back in 1965 have been bouncing around my head for you know the better part of a decade and uh what uh what um the the movie from the 80s just didn't didn't 
achieve those visuals and and was was a bit of a failure uh, in a lot of ways. And so I, I I've I feel like I haven't had the proper visual outlet for for this this story uh, mm-hmm. since I first read it uh, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, I, like I said, those visuals just have just been bouncing around my head and my imagination for a long time. And I got extra excited to see them uh, three years ago when this movie was announced <laughs> that Denis Villeneuve was doing it. And so I've been waiting, I feel like I've been waiting forever to, to, to see, um, to see Arrakis and, and to see um, the, the empire and, and to see what a mentat looks like and to see what um, uh, Denis Villeneuve's interpretation of a, uh, a maker or a worm would look like. I've, I've wanted to see these things. Uh, the, the visuals have, have been my strongest desire. And uh, finally, finally, it came this year and it actually exceeded what my puny little imagination could come up with compared to Denis Villeneuve. Um, and it, uh, it was even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, it, it really blew me away. Um, I loved everything about it. I think the casting was perfect. I think the visuals were next level uh ideal ideal visuals um uh i mentioned one thing that uh, i don't know if other people felt but there there were sort of um kind of like mike was saying um about the green knight um there were kind of like horror undertones to, in this movie i i thought some of the characters and settings mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ideas were flat out horrific and scary and uh and and that never came across to me when I was reading the books. And uh, mm-hmm. that's something that Denis Villeneuve was able to achieve that uh, is, is is a new level in this franchise. Uh, and, and I thought it was just brilliant in, in so many different ways. Um, I fully agree with the criticism that both Matt and Mike mentioned that it was um, uh, a very abrupt ending and it's kind of half a movie. I fully agree with that. It made me think a lot of like the first Lord of the Rings movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember seeing that and just thinking, what? They just stopped the story? And, (laughs) um, you know, I kind of felt the same way with this, but uh, I was so satisfied with the rest of the movie. It really didn't affect me that much. Um, uh, This... uh, it was kind of it was my number one for a long time, and it could easily be my number one uh, still. I, I think these top three are kind of interchangeable, but um, yeah, yeah I, I absolutely adore Dune. I think uh, Denis Villeneuve, if he gets to do a full trilogy or four or five, however many movies he wants to do, I think he's gonna continue to blow us away with Frank Herbert's vision, and uh, I am so excited for it. So, yeah, nice, yep. yeah, very cool, very cool, sweet, nice. Um, my number three is one I'm not going to talk much about because um, I talked about it at at ad nauseum uh, last month. Uh, Spider Man No Way Home is my number three. Nice. Um, just a quick rundown of it. I adored it. I was so taken by like not even not even the nostalgia of it, but the the catharsis of it, like the way that it handled. So many things that would in in lesser hands be fan service and be something that is just flashy and everything. Because um, it is a huge concept and the things that they do with the different with the multiverse. This is the this is this is the MCU, the first MCU multiverse movie. And the things mm-hmm. that they do with that could have easily been hokey or tongue-in-cheek or 
just for nostalgia, like the member berries thing. Um, right. But what it did was create this incredible, incredibly cathartic and funny and and uh, sad um, character arc for several characters. And the the way that the villains, the way that the villains are handled, the way that it subverts our expectations for comic book movies is just so great and feels so at home with a Peter Parker story. <laughs> like, especially mm-hmm. this version, this naive kid who wants to do the right thing and often does dumb things in the pursuit of doing the right thing because uh-huh. he's a kid. It's just, it is, it is just absolutely amazing. And I can't, I, I just can't get over just how, how perfect that is. Um, how, how, how perfect the, the presentation of this movie was. It's just, it, it was such a joy, such a crowd pleaser with so much heart and, so many so many implications for for the MCU going forward and for Spider-Man. Um I just I loved it. Spider-Man No Way Home, my number 3. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to talk about that movie uh later. <laughs> Me too. Shocker. Me too. Not next. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be the next movie that I talk about, uh, but I will talk about that movie. Nice. <laughs> no surprise there. Nice. What um, movie are you going to talk about? Yeah, so my number two, which you had already mentioned, was Coda. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched that movie early on in the year. Uh, it, it was um, an Apple movie. And gosh, for all of the same reasons, and I, I know we tend to get here to our top movies, and it, you know it feels like we're kind of repeating a lot of the same things, <laughs> but I, I kind of like that we feel the same way about a lot of these yeah. movies. Um, in a difficult year for me, emotionally, mentally, um, I, I don't know, spiritually, I'm not a spiritual person, but you know, in my connection to the universe, I had a tough time. I really latched on to um, movies that affected m- me emotionally, especially in a positive way. Um, there was like a Spider-Man comic event this year uh, that ended in a really satisfying way. And like, I got choked up, like explaining it to my friend at work the next day, <laughs> just, and, and he and I like to kind of deduce why we do certain things, why we behave certain ways. And uh, it was fun to talk about, like, I just need happiness sometimes um and coda was just so happy and impactful and emotional and you know all the things you said the performances uh are amazing uh newcomers and and really a cast of mostly newcomers um at least not, you know, super famous people yeah. um, gave real baked in performances, uh, a family that seems real, seems genuine. They have a history that we're not privy to, but we kind of learn over time and, and and we see it as the events play out. Uh, it, it could so easily have been um, a kind of a stereotypical and cliche melodrama about like this girl that's just got to get out and her family holds her back. But by throwing in the aspect that um, they're the deaf 
it, there's a wrench in the machine that's really intriguing and interest, interesting. Um, the two moments you said where you got choked up, I mean, I was full on, like, there's a moment of silence and and in that silence my wife and i like the sound was us going (laughs) yeah (laughs) because it was so perfect and so expertly crafted Mm -hmm. um one more thing before uh i throw it to tiny about this movie is my favorite character in the movie is the father Mm -hmm. and he he so easily could have been written as this demanding frustrated father who's like we need your help you have to stay quit chasing your crazy dreams and he is never angry at his daughter he never refuses to understand where she's coming from and it's just the most real uh, well real and for for positive families (laughs) it's just one of the most (laughs) loving fathers uh, you could watch in that scenario and it, it like it really could have been cliche he could have been angry he could have fought with her he could have yelled at her and he doesn't when there's the moment where kind of there's um again there's the there's a cliche moment where they're like counting on her to do a thing and she doesn't show up i'm not trying to spoil it but like she doesn't show up and he doesn't how do i explain it <clears throat> His anger is that she like ignored responsibilities, not that yeah. she was changing some fleeting dream and that you need to quit all that because you're ridiculous. He like a legit, like a lo- logical, rational human being is like, you promised me you would be there and you didn't. And for that, I'm disappointed. It was so yeah. real and so earned um, that <clears throat> when you're watching this journey of this family and these characters that seem baked in and honest and real, that when you get that catharsis at the end, I I think it hits even deeper. Yeah. Such a fantastic movie. Uh, I don't know why we're always so cheeky about what our number ones are going to be. Like it's, it's in the show notes and you can kind of guess by now, but uh, (laughs) I I will say until December, uh, until the week before Christmas, uh, Coda was my number one movie of the year because uh, it was so fantastic. And I have been excited to talk about this movie, which we did review. So, yeah, um, you know, I did more detail about that, but I loved Coda so much. And, and number two, easily. Nice. Awesome. Man, I need to see that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about your number two, Tiny? Uh, my number two is Nightmare Alley nice. uh, by Guillermo del Toro's latest. Um, I. Uh, I don't have a ton to say about it, um, but I um, I will <laughs> reference when I uh, when I was watching it, I um, I, t- I was messaging Matt and um, mm-hmm. I told him I, I'm kind of proud of the phrase I came up with. I yeah. guess uh, I, I said that uh, Guillermo del Toro just has a conduit to my soul. <laughs> um, nice, we yes, just, that's awesome. He just speaks to me. I, I really appreciate his filmmaking. Um, he just he just hits it out of the park uh, visually. His character work, I I adore. He's just a really great filmmaker. Um, Nightmare Alley has again one of the best casts of the year. Yeah. I love the cast: uh, Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, D- David Strathairn, and Mary Steenburgen. Incredible cast in this movie, <laughs> um, and 
that that's just one of the great things about this movie. Um, I love the time setting again, kind of, uh, uh, I don't want to say golden age of carnies, c- right. carnivals, but like, a, um, <laughs> kind of the, the peak of carnival, cause carnivals are pretty gross. Um, yeah. a, kind of a disturbing part of entertainment history. Um, but there's, they're also very fascinating. Um, and, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that kind of subgenre or that, uh, that, um, the concept of carnivals and stuff like that. Carny lifestyle is, is very interesting to me. And um, this is uh, one of the coolest Carney movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, Carney stories, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I also think it has a really cool structure to it. Um, the It's almost like a two act movie. Um, th- there are three acts for sure, but there's um, kind of a, a big jump. Um, the, the setup is, is my favorite part of the movie. Um, but it's, uh, it, it, there's kind of like a big jump where they, they jump to the next part. And I, I think may, some people might find it jarring or, or not, not really appreciate it, but I thought it was a, an interesting creative choice. And I, I think it worked for the movie. Um, but, but mostly there's just incredible performances. I love the visuals. Uh, I mean, there's just everything, great costuming, incredible sets. There's not a lot of like CGI in this. There's a lot of like, um, really fancy uh like like gl- glamorous art deco sets that i i just love that style and that time period it was, it was so fascinating um and and to see guillermo Tor- guillermo del toro uh live in that that setting was just peak awesome for me um so yeah really cool movie um i think it's maybe a little bit mixed reviews from from a lot of critics and a lot of people on this but like i said uh me and guillermo del toro are uh best friends who've never met so <laughs> <laughs> uh definitely recommend nice. this one nice yeah i enjoyed it um i didn't put it on any, any of my list but mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it nice yeah um my number two is Come On, Come On by Mike Mills. Nice. Um, for all the reasons Tiny mentioned, he he spoke very eloquently about it. So um, I really was taken with the style of this movie and the way that it has Joaquin Phoenix's character interacting with just random children. Um, there's the, the, those breaks of talking heads where he is doing his documentary stuff, um, and asking them for what they think of the, what they think the future holds and everything. And it also just reminds me of a funny, um, funny hash, like funny air quotes, um, tweet. That's like, uh, that was like, um, kids these days be saying when I grow up, um, bro, it's 70 degrees in December. You're not growing up. Um, so, um, but I think that Joaquin Phoenix and Woody Norman are just absolutely amazing. And, um, the way that the movie handles family dysfunction and the, just the notion of human relationships. And, um, and again, another, it's another example of a great movie that has like this generational divide that he's, he's interacting with his nephew that he doesn't really understand all that well. And, and they're skating around this very serious, um, family drama and family, thing involving his his uh uh Woody Norman's character's father who's having kind of a mental breakdown uh, and uh that's why he is with Joaquin Phoenix through the movie and just the way that it the way that the movie demonstrates that and interconnects it with how children 
having this having this running thing of what children view or what what the next generation sees for the future for themselves sees of the future for themselves interconnected with Woody Norman's character and Joaquin Phoenix having this not even adventure just this this life together where they're they're bonding and they're interacting with each other um is just is really really um good <laughs> nice no i really i was really taken with it and i i really uh loved it and the way that uh the kid kind of interprets and reacts to the very serious situation that his family's in um is just it's an interesting kind of showcase of the way children um react and interpret like things that are outside of their knowledge base because they're kids. Yeah. Um, it felt genuine. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so that's my number two. It's come on, come on. And, uh, I loved it. Nice. Um, now I am going to take a guess that both of you guys have the same number one. We do. <laughs> um, how do you guys want to handle it? Do you want me to just say my number one and then you guys have the floor for number one? That that's fine. Would that makes sense. Oh care. yeah, that's interesting. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let let me say before we do our number ones that uh, Tiny and I are going to talk about a movie that Matt has already talked about, mm-hmm. which is an official obsessive viewer pick for our top movies of the year. The only other two official pick for our top movies of the year are Dune and The Green Knight. So mm. <laughs> oh, there are three movies this year on our collective, the official. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. stamp of obsessive viewer approval that's nice. doing the green knight and the movie that uh tiny and i are about to talk about. right sweet wow that's awesome it's ninja baby um, <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> but i'll go ahead and talk about my number one real quick if you guys are cool with that yeah sure all right so my number one is fran kranz's directorial debut written and directed Mass. Nice. Um, I rewatched this today. It, it was at Heartland Film Festival and it's got some acclaim. I think it might be kind of lost in the shuffle of award season, but it is just a powerhouse of a movie. And it it's so simplistic, so straightforward. It's just four people in a room talking um, for the most part. But the way that it's handled, like the thing that I kept thinking about while rewatching it today is that the idea that film is a director's medium, um, uh, uh, theater is an actor's medium, television is a writer's medium. What Frank Kranz has done with Mass is he has taken a director's medium and applied um, just very, very sharp, intelligent, wonderfully constructed writing. Like the way that the movie divulges information and, and information about the event that's at the center of this is so powerful and it doesn't hold our hand. It doesn't, it doesn't set up, it doesn't do anything flashy. It doesn't do any flashbacks like Tiny said. It doesn't do anything heavy with that. It's all in the dialogue and it's all organic. So he does that and then he gives the floor to four amazing performers to play out this drama like it's a stage play. And it's like you can tell that this is by the hand of an actor because he gives them so much to work with and so much there's this visceral feel there's a moment about an hour into the movie where jason isaacs um he has like this outburst that has been building throughout the entire movie and it 
like just thinking about it sends chills down my spine. Mm. And like just thinking about it, like I rewound it when I rewatched it today. (laughs) (laughs) And like it is so powerful and so emotional, but none of them are the lead. It's an ensemble piece and they all have their own not even agenda, but they all have their own way that the characters have dealt with this tragedy that they are confronting. And just the central concept that it's two families or two couples that are meeting years after in uh, um, um, an incident in which one of their, like one couple's son murdered another couple's son. And that is the, that is the kind of thing that tethers them together. And the way that the information is recounted and the way that the drama is, it's not, it's done with such a character focus and it is so, um, focused on that and the character interactions that I'm, I'm just blown away by all four of the central performances. Uh, th- just incredible. And there's an interesting thing that I don't understand per se. I don't, I don't necessarily understand, but, that first like 45 minutes to an hour building up toward that outburst. That's like one of the few times where the screen goes black cuts to a shot that, um, kind of separates some of the acts sort of. Um, but after that, the aspect ratio changes significantly. So like it's, it's a Hmm. much wider aspect ratio for that first hour. And then Mm -hmm. when we get that cut, it's a black black screen and then it goes to the the exterior shot, um, and then it goes back to the room, and it's it's a more conventional like sixteen by nine, like widescreen um, aspect ratio. I don't understand that. I want to say I, I I don't know. For all I know, it could be that Frank Kranz didn't have the right lens until halfway through production or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it kind of feels like this tension that this is like this has been. Up until that point, it has been this just incredible, like, like forehander between among these four actors. And then now we're in the meat of it. Now we're in the drama of it. And they're really reconciling what has happened and everything. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what, I, I don't know, but it is just an absolute stunner of a movie. And it is so powerful. Some of the best performances I've seen. In this year or in recent years, um, just absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, and that's mass. And I, uh, it, it's it's an emotionally devastating and emotionally draining experience. Yeah, but it is so so well done. I just I I love it so much. Awesome. Um, I yeah. love that. That's your number one pick. Nice. Great pick. Yeah. Awesome for sure. Nice. Also, I do have to mention that <laughs> I feel like 2021 was the year of mass. Because Mass is my number one movie. Wow, Midnight Mass. Midnight yeah. Mass, and also the Mass Effect trilogy uh, re-release came out, so Funny. covered all my bases. Um, so yeah, so that's my number one, uh, Mass, and I will yield the floor to your guys's number one movie of twenty twenty one. And I'm trying yeah. to think of a jokey answer, but I don't know. <laughs> Tony, do you want do you want me to go, no. or do you yeah. want me to have the last word? How do you want to go? Yeah, you can go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Okay. 
man, where do I even begin with Spider-Man No Way Home? <laughs> I, I just, I feel like I get on this podcast and I have these bombastic reaction to movies <laughs> that mean the world to me. Uh, and I go on these rants and these passionate rants. And I will say I have not reviewed Spider-Man No Way Home anywhere. So this mm-hmm. is me uh, going off the cuff and and really trying to uh, verbalize some of the things I've, I've said to other people over time. And I'll, I'll try to condense it. I, 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 um, you know, I could talk for an hour about what Spider-Man No Way Home means to me, but, um, but I'm going to try to keep it as condensed as possible. Well, there was no question this was going to be my favorite movie of the year. I, I knew it coming out. The hype for it was through the roof. You know, when I talked about Endgame, Avengers Endgame, the way I did when that movie came out, about how it's a roller coaster experience and it's a theme park and it's like going to a theme park. And if you go to the movies to have an experience, to sit with an audience and hear them cheer and hear them laugh and hear them cry how could you not say spider-man was the most fun thing that you did all year uh certainly (laughs) not uh and you have to admit that it's the most fun thing you did in a theater all year was see (laughs) spider-man no way home so spider-man is by far my favorite superhero and not even just my favorite superhero but one of my favorite intellectual properties i have been a spider-man fan as long as I can remember from the animated series as a kid to comics when I was a little bit older to the 2002 Sam Raimi movie to the sequel to the third one to the Andrew Garfield pictures uh, and then to a lesser extent the Tom Holland versions though I've always appreciated his uh, his contributions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Spider-Man mythology. What Spider-Man No Way Home does is take all those things that I love about the character and uh, different interpretations on the character and give them back to me in such a satisfying and cathartic interpretation uh, that to me the movie just feels undeniable. It was so much fun fun and so important to me at the same time the again like i said i just craved happy moments throughout the year watching whatever movie and this had some of the happiest i can think of watching any movies for someone who loves emotional beats who loves redemption stories who loves catharsis and who ultimately loves comic books and loves to an even greater extent Spider-Man. It gave me exactly what I wanted to see from a Spider-Man movie. And we're not doing spoilers, are we, Matt? Um, no, I guess not, but I mean everyone's okay. seen it, so I'd say no. Okay. Yeah. Do say mean... don't do spoilers. Yeah, yeah, don't do spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Avoid them. I'll Sorry. I'll avoid them. And it, and it makes it a uh, a uh, a little difficult to to talk about it. Um but there so so I'll focus on what won't be spoiled and what this movie does is um this character who has now had the the like has represented the character of Spider-Man more than any other person in a movie Tom Holland this is his sixth appearance oh yeah that's sixth. Two, three, four, five, his sixth his sixth huh. appearance yep as the character one of my complaints has been he has always been you know under the tutelage of a certain character it's always been Tony Stark or you know under the shadow of Tony Stark and then 
to a different extent or to a different degree. It was Mysterio in the second one, while the shadow of the grave of Tony Stark loomed large. I never got the sense that Tom Holland was my Spider-Man. I never got the sense that he was the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He was the civil war. He was Tony Stark's sidekick. This movie in a new and different and ultimately crazily satisfying way. Like I said, it rewrote the mythos. So if it offered multiverse as an option, um, this version of the character now six movies later has his origin story. He is now the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He, there are other characters in the movie who tell him, this is why you do what you do. This is finally now why you're Spider-Man. You know, you fought the vulture early on because you had to, and you just thought it would be a rad experience to be a Spider-Man in a world where superheroes exist. And the second one, you were looking for that father figure again, that you lost in Tony Stark and you're trying to figure out responsibility and what you do with it. But when it really comes down to doing the right thing at the expense of yourself and the people you love, will you do the right thing? Which is at the core of Spider-Man. They do what they do because it's at their core from the people who taught them the values. It's why I think Spider-Man is the best character is those values that he has. You do the right thing at all costs. And we finally have a reason for Spider-Man to do it. It was also really cool. The CGI was fun. Awesome fight scenes. Alfred <laughs> Molina was really cool. Uh, to see Willem Dafoe give his all is fantastic. Yeah. And then there, of course, the bits that we all know about, but out of the, the safety of spoilers, I won't say were so unbelievably satisfying that I'm getting chills thinking about them now. And there's a redemption for a character that I found so um, cathartic and such a payoff for that character um, that I, that I just like, I broke down in the theater watching the scene because it was so effective and it was so important to me. Uh, again, I've used this phrase so many times, but when my favorite of the movies of the year do this, I have to call them number one. Spider-Man No Way Home is another example of why I love movies so much and why I love going to the movies is undoubtedly my number one. Awesome. Nice. Well said. Nice. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Tiny. Well, you're number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, my number one is Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm, I'm so glad you went first, Mike, because um, you are a huge reason as to why this is my number one. Oh, uh, that's cool. Well, awesome. I, I because I want to go back to 2019 with Avengers Endgame because uh, a lot of the stuff you just said about Spider-Man No Way Home is literally word for word the same stuff you said about Avengers Endgame. <laughs> and I agree mm -hmm. with you 100%. Back in 2019, my number one movie was 1917. Mm -hmm. I stand by that wholeheartedly. Good movie. Good yeah. movie. Um, yes. My number two was Avengers Endgame. But I remember when you you announced your number one, you said those words. You were like, you said that this is the best time that anybody had in a theater was Avengers Endgame in 2019. And if you say you, 
you said something along I'm paraphrasing but you said something along the lines of if you if you say that this was not the best time you had in the movie theater in 2019 you're lying to yourself and I remember <laughs> listening to hearing you listening to you say that and I was like god damn it he's right <laughs> again I wouldn't change my 2019 list but mm-hmm. I think you were right back then and I think you were right this year and so I was trying to decide between my top three between Nightmare Alley Dune and Spider-Man and I was like you know what Mike was right then, and he's especially right in 2021 with Spider-Man. Yeah. I'm going to put Spider-Man as my number one movie. And nice. it be, the reason is because it was the best time I had in a movie theater this year, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to quote Mike. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it was the best time I had with any movie this year. Um, I And it's interesting because I have had a sort of distant relationship with Spider-Man because back in 2002 the the Toby Maguire trilogy I could not reconcile my dislike for Toby Maguire with those movies. Oh, yeah, I remember this. Um, yeah. and, and it's kind of bullshit because I, it was it was me being a douchebag teenager. Because um, I still don't like Toby Maguire, but he's really not that bad. I, I mean, yeah. hey, it, it was kind of a bullshit reason to not connect to that trilogy. Um, and I kind of regret it. And I haven't revisited those movies in a long time. But the nostalgia that you feel Mike and Matt you feel towards that trilogy and millions of other people feel towards that trilogy I don't have and uh-huh. so I've, I've I've had kind of a disconnect with Spider-Man because of that um, but I, I've really liked Tom Holland a lot I think my favorite Spider-Man is actually Andrew Garfield but my favorite Peter Parker is Tom Holland, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I just love his awkwardness. I think I think he's hit that out of the park. Um, I, that's it, it's it's so much fun. Um, I loved Andrew Garfield's uh, in his movies. I loved his quippiness and his smart assness as as Spider Man. I thought the way he incorporated that into the actual masked character was so fun. Um, but um, the the reason why. No Way Home is my favorite is because favorite of the year is because the way they managed to weave uh, so many things together from the MCU and and just um, not course correct but um, just I guess solve all the all of the hangups that I had with Spider Man personally they just it it all just kind of melted away with this movie and and I was so blown away by it. I got choked up at this movie, uh, which I was not expecting. Um, and, and I, I just, I absolutely adore, um, the, the way I was able to just reconcile so many things about my connection to this franchise. Um, one thing that jumped out to me that's so obvious, uh, and has been obvious with Spider-Man across all three different, uh, franchises that they've done over the last few decades. Um, is the tragedy of Spider-Man and Peter Parker. It's, it's, you know, he's constantly losing loved ones and characters. And that's a huge part of who he is as a superhero and as a person. Uh, but it just mm-hmm. never, it never connected for me or it never jumped out to me that that influences his reason for why he does this. And it influences who he is as a person. Cause he's always so, <laughs> jokey and quippy and smart assy and that's what i've always liked about him but i i I am blown away watching this movie by how peter parker and spider-man deals with 
tragedy. It's it's really incredible, and it's it is a constant force that he deals with in in all these movies, and obviously the comic books, um, which I'm not as familiar with. But it's it's incredible how he keeps going, and and because it's the stuff that happens to him in this movie, and uh, happened to Andrew Garfield, and happened to Tommy McGuire. That stuff is heartbreaking and earth shattering and should make a person want to quit but he just keeps going he keeps cracking jokes and he keeps slinging webs and that's that's one thing that i just learned to or it's 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 an adoration that i came to uh when i watched this movie about spider-man and and uh i i just i was really blown away by the movie and uh mikey Wright, it's really hard not to talk about it uh with a spoiler yeah. it's hard, hard, hard <laughs> yeah. to talk about it while avoiding spoilers but um right uh suffice it to say it it will it's 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 just a beautiful movie in so many ways and uh it's heartbreaking it's funny really funny um it's beautiful great cgi like you said the set pieces were so good um really good acting um i love what they did with the other characters too um I can't remember even the, his friend's name. Um, Ned. Ned, thank you. Yeah. Ned. And uh, mm-hmm. Zendaya's MJ had really good character arcs as well. Um, and this movie, was it almost three hours? Yeah, just about. It was like 240 was or something yeah. like yeah. that. It mm-hmm. felt like an hour to me because yeah. I was so in and just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Just really a beautiful movie. I can't wait to watch it again. Same here. Yeah. Yep. Also, uh, I don't know if I said this, the second year in a row that Mike and I have had the same number one. Oh yeah! What was your oh, nice. number one last year? Invisible Man last year. Invisible Man. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um. My my number one last year was I'm thinking of ending things, which after that recording, <laughs> have not given a second thought to that movie. <laughs> so, funny. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, those that's our top tens, guys. Yes. Of 2021. That is. We did it. We made we it. We did it. Oh yes. <laughs> um. But before we head out, I do want to. I do have one other thing uh movies we're looking forward to in 2022 we can Ooh. be really quick yeah but before that i do want to i do want to lay down like this this interesting thought that i had today um it's just weird to me like thinking about like i often think about oh what if i could go back in time and talk to myself much like much like in the C- uh celine siama movie petite maman but <laughs> what if i could go back in time and talk to myself and say something so if I were to go back to June 28th, 2018, the day that I signed up for AMC A-List, <laughs> if I could go back in time to that day and say, hey, I know that you're not necessarily reveling in the ashes of MoviePass, but you're excited about this. That's super exciting. I just want to let you know that 2019 is going to be the only year until 2022, God willing, that you have a list, that anyone has a list for the entirety of the calendar year. (laughs) Like, can you think about how weird that would be? Oh, wow, yeah. That is weird. That's a good point. Yeah, we've only had a list. This is the second year we will have a list for a full year, and it came out Mm -hmm. in 2018. Jeez, good point. Nuts. That is weird to think about. Yeah, so just a little anecdote, but um, Mike, do you want to hit us with your most anticipated movies of 2022 before we head out for the evening? Yeah, I, I, I will be quick. So there are two more sleeps until Scream comes yes. out. Five Cream or Scream 5, mm. whatever you want to call it, or Scream Resurrections. Yeah. Um, 
I'm also really, really excited for the Batman. I wasn't yes. initially, not that I had anything with Robert against Robert Pattinson. I just don't need more Batman movies mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, and it turns out I do because that trailer looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, the Northman, uh, mm-hmm. Robert Eggers is another one of my favorite directors working. I, I just, I love his eye. Uh, the Black Phone, uh, yes. Ethan Hawke, I have said many times, is my favorite actor. Uh, and I'm pretty excited for that. Jordan Peele, anything he does, I'm going to check it out. So Nope is pretty exciting. Uh, and then, as of now, the you know toward the end of the year, the big one, of course, for me is the ending of David Gordon Green's uh, new Halloween trilogy, Halloween Ends, this yep. October. Nice, awesome, Tiny. Do you have any? Um, really, just um, the Batman is is up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've kind of been showing that trailer lately, and I'm very curious to see what they do with that. Um, and then I just kind of remembered. The Avatar sequel is supposed to come out next year. Oh yeah, <laughs> Which, oh yeah. We'll see. That's well. The, so that's mostly just curiosity. I'm curious yeah. to see the reception on that. Oh, I that. mean, we'll see if it comes out. Yeah, we'll see if it comes out. But <laughs> I'm I'm curious to see how it's received because it's been way too freaking long and yeah. all the reasons you know we've talked about Avatar before mm-hmm. and Jim Cameron before. But uh, yeah. I, I'm just kind of curious to see what happens with that movie. Yeah, that's it. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, rapid fire. Scream in a couple of days. Super excited. Um, weirdly interested in Uncharted. Two more sleeps. Yep. Oh, Two yeah. more sleeps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> weirdly interested in Uncharted. We'll see. The Batman, one of my highest anticipated movies. It looks incredible. Um, I'm really interested in in uh, April, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent with Nick Cage mm, yeah. and Pedro Pascal. Um, the Northman, like Mike said. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The Black Phone. Joe Hill. Uh, at a, a Joe Hill short story, great. Uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, nope. Salem's Lot in September. We're going to be doing some stuff for Tower Junkies with that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Knives Out Two, which doesn't have a release date, and Halloween Ends, and Spider Man Across the Spider Verse Part One. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, so those are all that. I uh, I will be back with a new episode shortly. Um, just geeking out over podcast stats and uh, Patreon stats, kind of a Patreon sizzle reel, maybe. Uh, current co-host top tens, my honorable mentions. Stay tuned for that in the next episode. But gentlemen, this is our ninth year in review episode. Uh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for putting up with me and everything. And I'm just mm-hmm. glad that we, this is a thing that we've done nine times. <laughs> yeah. We've done this. this. Yeah. It's insane. This is awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. So cool. Yeah. Totally. And shit. Love I you too, to, man. I love you to too, tiny. Yeah. I love record. you guys. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> you forgot to uh, press right, We talked over your yeah. joke. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I love you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll looking forward to more podcast in uh, 2022. Yes, sir. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to play us out. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And again, check us out on Letterboxd, at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, at I'm, I Am Mike White. Links to everything in the show notes. Thank you guys and have a great and safe 2022 at the movies. Um, yeah. All right. Thank you guys and have a good one. I was trying to time it, but it's not going to be timed. <laughs> Close enough. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you and enjoy. Wow. I, I love the, the trio of movies that, mm. that, you know, this is the, if Psycho is the grandfather, Halloween mm-hmm. is the father, this is the child. Yeah, I love that. That's so awesome. Which was, it, which is the, you know, then becomes spawns a million imitators. Oh, yeah. A million like Ill- illegitimate children. Uh, yeah right yeah. uh yeah and i uh i lost my train of thought just now but anyway um i need to yeah. see more gail weathers costumes for halloween the oh, lime yeah. green mm-hmm. uh oh, yeah you know blazer and miniskirt is mm-hmm. iconic oh absolutely oh yeah it's a character in the movie i yes. feel it's a character and pizza rescued me But also, how cool is it that we have a now five movie franchise villain, like iconic horror icon that's not supernatural, but is still the same iconography in each movie? I think that's well, we're gonna have to. That is awesome, and we're gonna have to talk about that Mm -hmm. come Scream 22. Yeah, Uh, I'm really, I'm so excited for it. Everything I've seen looks so great, Mm -hmm. but I still keep asking. Like, why does it exist? How are they going to tell us why this movie exists? This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.